The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. Los Ingonables. On today's show, Day. we will. <laughs> On today's show, we will be reviewing (laughs) both nights of Wrestle Kingdom 14 and New Year's Dash and covering all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice or subscribing to Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Make sure you check out our Prussing Tea store, prussingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. We got our first donation already. That's right, we did. So shout out to that. Um, so yeah, if you support the show, you can just, you can uh, donate to the whole network. You can donate to your favorite show, socialsuplex.com slash donate. You can donate to your favorite podcaster, singular. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't uh, have to be the show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, God, I shouldn't have said that because it's going to be like, this one's for Jeremy, <laughs> this one's for Jeremy. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so man, Wrestle Kingdom weekend, man. Do you feel like you have a like a hangover, like a wrestling hangover? I do, man. I do too, man. And also, uh, real quick, too, shout out to everybody who's uh, downloaded the Voices of Wrestling 2019 New Japan Year in ebook. I saw it was in the best selling in the wrestling section on Amazon and. You know, one of the most uh, profitable books they've had, I think, so far. So thanks to everybody who checked that out and um, commented on my uh, Bullet Club is Fine uh, essay that was in there. So if you haven't yet, go check that out. Voicesofwrestling.com in the sidebar. they got the links there to the year-end ebook. It is a pay-what-you-want model. If you go through PayHip, you could get it for free if you want to, or you can get the suggested $5.99 or give more. Or if you go to Amazon, it's just the flat uh, $5.99. So check that out. But uh, yeah, man. Proud of you, bro. Thank you. I'm proud of you for your contribution to the book. <laughs> uh, yeah, shout out to like all the new followers that we've kind of gotten over the weekend too from the book and just like live tweeting and all that stuff. So we got a lot of followers. Yeah, and shout out to um, I'm pretty sure we got some new listeners too because um, on the Keeping a Strong Style feed, um, numbers were up 
And numbers are up on the Social Suplex feed also on yes. both feeds. So shout out to all the new listeners. Shout out to uh, Sir Sam who embedded our uh, episode on the Lords of Pain prediction column that we did. I know a lot of traffic came in from um, that. Yeah, see, I feel bad, bro. Like, I feel like we're bad friends. We keep doing stuff for other people on their shows, and then we do our show. We don't mention it. And then I'm, like, midway through the week, and I'm like, why didn't we, like, mention, like, bro, you've been all over the place. Like, you were on uh, All Things Elite this past week. Yeah, so, no, yeah, All Things Elite. So, listen to that on the network, doing a Dynamite review with Floyd and talking a little bit of Wrestle Kingdom. We did a preview with um, with Rance and Kyle over on Chair Shop, uh Chair Shot Radio. Chair Shot yeah. Radio. Outsider's Edge. Outsider's Edge. Good friends of the show. Um, former... Uh, uh, social suplex alumni and then um let's see oh and then we we did uh we did stuff with rich and and james that's right uh, one nation radio they have a lot of uh, special episodes dropping over the last week they did a year in review for new japan and stardom and that is on one episode they also did a year in review of uh aw wwe slash nxt which is one episode with uh floyd amy and the implications but yeah we were on the the new japan portion of the uh, New Japan Stardom episode. Oh, and we did a preview with him like a week, two weeks, like ago, two weeks ago. Yeah. I don't even know when it dropped. To be honest with you, yeah, it dropped that same that same that week. same week. Yeah, so yeah, I I did see some of the other shows and previews he had. I, I mean, this is just a busy time of the year. Everyone wants to, uh, you know, obviously it's the second large biggest show of the year when it comes to wrestling. Uh, you know, outside of WrestleMania, and so I mean, the coverage is just really, really insane. It's all over the place. And uh, thank you to uh, all of our uh, co-hosts and co-workers are, you know, I don't, I don't <laughs> colleagues, know, colleagues <laughs> um, for just uh, including us and uh, letting us work with you guys and uh, definitely check out the stuff we've been doing with all them. Yeah. And then, uh, man, 2020 is going to be an exciting time. Like, I'm so excited. Uh, it feels weird. Uh, you know, it's just the, it's, it's old school. We don't got a run sheet. Yeah, we, we, we don't. We don't have news in front of us. We don't have listeners' questions. Like it feels like like two years ago. Yeah, it feels like the uh, the very beginning. And except we didn't have all this uh, this high end equipment. <laughs> and yeah, so yeah, we didn't put the call out for questions this week because uh, we were trying to avoid spoilers in between both nights of Wrestle Kingdom and New Year's Dash. So next week will be kind of a more normal. We'll have questions. Actually, next week we're gonna have our uh, New Japan. Correspondent Jamie Spector on the podcast. He is in Tokyo right now. He attended both nights of Wrestle Kingdom and New Year's Dash and a bunch of other uh, non New Japan shows as well. Dude, he did like the DDT, like uh, double tag team dash tournament. He was at the All Japan show, which I really want to hear about because he saw the Jake Lee Miyahara match. Yes. Uh, Big Japan, like uh, he was at the Stardom show. He did everything, man. Yeah, he did. Yeah, man, I was super jealous watching his uh, Instagram feed of all the shows and stuff he was at. I don't think he went to the Noah show, which I don't know if you heard. Uh, Kiyomiya dropped the title to Goshi Ozaki. So I did. I saw that. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, so we're gonna have uh, Jamie on the show next week. We'll have we'll take all of your uh, post Russell Kingdom questions next week and answer those next week. But today's episode, we're gonna dedicate. I also heard he might have some uh, some little treats for oh, us. Nice. Uh, or maybe not for us, maybe for like listeners of the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, tournament season is just shortly around the corner, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. And so a lot of great prizes. Yep. And, uh, man, it's just, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. I'm just like, I'm so grateful. (laughs) We just had like three awesome cards back to back to back. And we finally have 
digested all of them. The one thing I feel bad about, I haven't even seen all the backstage comments yet. Uh, yeah, I have not seen. I think I I've seen some of them, but I I didn't get a chance to yeah, check. I think I watched out. a couple of them from night one. I didn't get a chance to watch all of them. But yeah, this show we're dedicated to reviewing all of night one, all of night two, and New Year's Dash. So that's going to be all of today's show. Reviewing those shows, giving our uh, analysis, our opinions, and kind of um, you know outlook on what we think is going to happen coming out of these shows. And I, I just want to say this. I'm so stoked to be doing this show. This is one of my favorite shows. This and the award show are always, like, my two favorite, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's no one else I'd rather be doing it than my partner and co-host, Jeremy Donovan. But uh, I got to tell you, I almost feel a little overwhelmed. Like, with so much coverage, I've heard so much audio in the last three days when it comes to Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, good audio, bad audio. Mediocre, kind of in the middle, just mid, <laughs> mid some, some mid, some three st- gentlemen's, you know, gentlemen's threes, uh, star type, uh, <laughs> freaking. I, I'm not even talking right today because I'm tired, like, but uh, yeah, just some, some average, uh, stuff. And you know, I, I just feel the pressure because I mean, people really look to this as like a resource. And thank you to everyone that's been listening and tweeting out. You know, I've even seen some of the tweets people have been sending out. About our preview show, which did really well in the right, numbers. Right, yeah. A lot of people, you know, pretty much saying, hey, as you build up into Wrestle Kingdom week, you you listen to the Keeping It Strong style Wrestle Kingdom preview to get you hyped, to yeah. get you ready. And thanks to Chris Samson as well for yeah, letting shout his... to the, the stat man. Although I got to say, like, I'm getting tired of uh, Voice of Wrestling getting shouted out by Kevin Kelly. This man needs to learn. He <laughs> needs to recognize. <laughs> <laughs> There's another New Japan podcast out there, sir. Oh my god, yo! How about last? Okay, one last thing before we get into this. How about last week when um you uploaded the uh, <laughs> the episode of Reddit and um suddenly you like messaged me you're like, yo, can you go upvote this? Looks like it's getting downvoted. I went and looked, and our episode was negative votes in the New Japan Reddit, which is like the most positive Reddit. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen our. Any episode of ours have a, have a negative down t- down vote, and then uh, Rich jumped in there, and he's like, "Hold up!" <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing, which I didn't even tell you, like I had posted it earlier, but I instead of doing like my normal link post, I because I, I was trying to get uh, both links to like the social suplex feed and the keeping a strong style feed, so people could pick, and then that post got got deleted, and then like what I, I like, re-uploaded it, like I just did the, the, my normal like link thing I normally did, and just linked it to the social suplex feed. And that was the one that was like getting downvoted. Uh, and then also the uh, our lovely listeners that check out the show every week came in and upvoted and commented. So yeah, Rich was like, he's like, y'all gonna downvote this show? Who's gone hard in this form for over a hundred weeks? Come on! <laughs> and I was like, that's pretty funny. But uh, you know, it didn't stay downvoted for long. But it was right, just, it, it skyrocketed. <laughs> yeah, I was. But yeah, thank you to um, you know all of our supporters and listeners out there. But um, let's get into it, man. Wrestle Kingdom, day one, day two, and New Year's Dash. This is going to be crazy. Yeah, so uh, before we uh, get into the matches, do you want to talk about the attendance numbers? Or should we just I want to talk. I want to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Let's talk about the attendance numbers. Okay, so attendance numbers for night one. So night one had an attendance of 40,008. And they had a gate of uh, over $5 million. Holy crap. On uh, night two, we had an attendance of 30,063, 
with a uh, gate of approximately over uh, $4 million. That's extremely successful. And that's, and that, <laughs> and that's not including merchandise. That's extremely successful. Um, I mean, it depends on how you want to look at it. If you want to look at that, at it as just one show, well, we're looking at the highest drawing, best selling uh, Japanese wrestling show in two decades. Yeah. If you're looking at it as a package deal, I mean, I'm sure it's been a very, very long time since anything on that island touched the type of business that they just did over this, you know, two day weekend, regardless of what the opinions are on the day five versus day four numbers. Um, I mean, this can't be seen as anything less than an extreme success. Yeah, I mean, over 70,000 people, two nights, that that huge gate number. I'm sure there was a ton of uh, merch sold between both those nights as well. I think overall it was a, su- a success. I know a lot of people have been questioning, you know, the, the day two number. Obviously they had about 10,000 less than night one, and it was the Okada Naito main event that has been protected for, you know, what, two years now? Yeah. And, you know, the story that they've been telling for a long time now with Naito and Okada and Naito finally getting his moment in the Dome. They did not advertise it. They were hoping that there'd be a huge walk-up, but they didn't get that. Well, here's one thing I want to say, and this is probably going to be a central theme throughout this episode. Oftentimes, as wrestling journalists and, you know, audio content creators and, you know, speculators and fans, we like to draw things in a very black and white uh, sort of um, parallel. We like to say, oh, this person was an idiot because they did this. They should have done this. When, in fact, most of the time we don't really know. Um, Other times there are clear examples when things are a mistake and you can really draw, you can look at it and anyone who's, you know, halfway smart can tell you like, Oh, that was a mistake or, Oh, that was a success. But sometimes it's not really a matter of whether something was a success or a failure or the right thing or a wrong thing. There's a spectrum that exists out there between decisions, whether you do things the way you want to do them, or I do things the way I do them. And it's not necessarily a wrong or a right. There could be a better or a worse, but they still both might be good things. Um, for example, the way New Japan does business is very different culturally than the mo- the way most other promotions in the States and abroad do business. Right. So there are going to be some decisions that are different. I think one of the big decisions, um, as an example, that we've called into question ourselves, uh, and, and it's been for about six months, maybe even a year that we've been talking about this, is like, are they going, well, maybe not a year, but like at least since the G1, so half a year, where we're like, there's no way they're going to do Okada and Naito in the Dome with a one-day build. But that's exactly what they ended up doing. And it's not necessarily a bad decision. I think some people might look at it and say, like, you know, oh, they left money on the table. Well, did they? They did 70K. <laughs> right. <laughs> they did 70K. And that's where they wanted to they, – they told the story that they wanted to tell. They drew better business than they had wanted to. Is it possible that they could have maybe drawn more to a second dome show? I don't really know. I don't know because I don't know if you if you advertise that match for the second dome night, do you get the big crowd for the first night that they got? 
You know right, what I mean? Right. I don't know. I don't know what the right thing to do was they're, there. They're, I think they're in a tough position. Right. There's there's a lot of different um, factors that kind of come into play here, and different things could have changed the equation in different ways. You could have potentially, if they did advertise that night two, you know, night two is going to be Okada Naito. Maybe you get the forty thousand on night two instead of the forty thousand on night one. I don't think so. I think the biggest thing that, and one thing we really learned based off the ticket sales, because the first night was trending to have better ticket sales regardless. We knew this going into it. And we also knew that the first night did not have the hotter matches or the bigger selling ticket. You know what I mean? Right. Um, There was more buzz surrounding the potential of the Okada Naito feud. The Jericho Tanahashi match and and you know the card top to bottom just looked better on night two. But January fourth is at this point an institution in in the culture. You know we had a question from uh, one of our listeners just last week, and they're like, "Well, why don't they move everything to the weekend and do something like this?" And it's like, "Well, January fourth is culturally it's tradition. It's a tradition yeah. now. It's been going back since ninety two. It's really hard for them to kind of break off of that. It's like a holiday at this point. So." That fourth date was going to do well regardless, but, like, what if they had treated the fifth like it was the bigger show, even more so than they already did, and then the fourth, like, they kind of, like, tanked those numbers, and then the fifth didn't do well altogether. They did right. They could have done worse numbers, ultimately. It right. is possible. Yeah, there's so many variables to yes. examine and look at and plug in and plug out and see, well, what if this, what if that. At the end of the day... They drew seventy thousand two days. They had a huge gate. Um, overall, it was a success. I do think. Um, I think the length of the shows could have hypothetically been a factor. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, you know how how long were those shows? Like five hours each. About yeah, both and both about five. I think I would have been fine with like a four hour show. Right. Personally, um, if it was just one big show. Um, then, you know, five to, I'm not saying go to six, but like a five hour show, we've seen it in the past. Some of those like Wrestle Kingdom 9, 10, 11, things like that have been fantastic. Right. But, um, last year's show I liked a lot, but it, they rushed it and it felt almost too short to me. Right. It was over and I still wanted more. Yeah. 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 Whereas with this, um, it, it wasn't bad, but two days of five hour shows back to back was a bit much that could have played into it. Like if you. Went to the first, and I'll just say right now, and we'll get into it. I think the first show was better. Um, even if the second show was more consistent, I think because of the peaks of the first show and also the freshness of the audience, it just seemed to be a better show to me anyways. and um, But I did think, I was like, you know, with how great that show was now with the uh, with the promo going off the air with Okada Naito, like who wouldn't go to that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I did think I was like maybe the, they'll see a late rush like ticket boost be- based off the people that attended the first night, but then you you put in real world factors and it's like the fatigue of a five hour show, also the travel elements that are in play that a lot of people don't like to really think about, but it's been reported and kind of verified by people that were in Japan, um, Dave Meltzer among them that they're like you know the fifth, even though it's a Sunday like the majority of people who are traveling outside of the Tokyo area had to go back to work. And uh, I, I even like uh, brought that up in the group chat. People were kind of like scoffing at it. And I was like, well, keep in mind, it's Japan. <laughs> right. People don't just like always take holiday for wrestling or, or ask or, or take a sick day or use PTO. Like, 
the type of uh, work ethic and work culture that's, I mean, this is a place where it's seen as being, um, I don't, have you heard about this where like it's seen as being like a, a really positive thing to fall asleep in public? No. Yeah. Like they work so hard that when you, if you, you, you work so hard and you work such long hour days, like 14, 15 hour work days that like you have to sleep in public to like catch up on your sleep. And that's seen as like an admirable thing. Because this, this person, the hard work, they're a fucking they're hard working worker. so hard. Like he's, he's like falling asleep right here. It's a huge part of their culture happens everywhere all over, especially in the metropolitan areas. So, I mean, that's a big deal. Like if you, if you live far away, you, you know, you can't take, if, if you're going to be traveling Monday and then getting in late, you might be taking two days of work off. A lot of people are not going to do that for Okada night. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that really does play a big factor into the, them drawing on the fifth. The, the, the reality is the fourth is a more beneficial day to uh, promote wrestling on, in this case specifically because it was on a, on a Saturday Versus the Sunday when people have to go back to work. That's a huge part of it. Yeah. I also think the fatigue plays into it. I also think the um, not knowing what the big show was going to be, probably the cost as well. I mean, there's a lot. Right. Yeah, look, like I said, so many variables to why that night two didn't go higher. The other thing, too, is like, you know, uh, we talked about it. Like when we left the first show, I mean, there's two matches on that first show that are so good. That you might have said, well, the second night looks good, but nothing's going to touch the, those first, you know, right. those those top two matches on the first night. I've I've already seen the best wrestling I possibly could. Why would I go back? And there there is that line of logic as well. Right. All right. Well, um, well, these numbers are fantastic. Yeah. And anyone who tells you otherwise is is ridiculous. Uh, just keep in mind, like three or four years ago, New Japan couldn't even draw half of the building. I mean, like a 20,000, I mean, I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, but like some of the, like Kenny and Kenny and Okada, I don't know. Like, I think they did pretty bad numbers in the dome. If you remember, I don't remember offhand, but I know it was nowhere near what we've gotten this year. (laughs) I think they like literally had dropped that year and people were kind of like, um, like disappointed by the attendance figures for Wrestle Kingdom 11. Um, yeah, they did 26, Mm. which is good. You know, for sure, but um, it's not forty. Yeah, <laughs> it's they, not not thirty. Yeah, yeah, they did thirty six thousand at Wrestle Kingdom nine, and then dropped to twenty five the next year, and then twenty six the next year. They were hoping for a big like jump with that one, so I mean, it, you know, we've had some we've had some lean years, and right. for them to do the kind of business that they're doing right now speaks volumes about the popularity of, of their business in, over there. So I mean, this it's it's incredible. I mean, even last year they did. Uh, this was Wrestle Kingdom. What today? This 14? was 14, Yeah. Okay. The last were thirteen. Yeah, they had forty three thousand at Wrestle Kingdom twelve thirty, just under thirty five paid, and then last year they uh, I don't have. Oh yeah, thirty thirty eight thousand paid. So I mean. Almost double that. Yeah. Not quite, but almost. That's crazy. Yeah, so yeah, awesome numbers. And like we mentioned on the show, the Okada-Naito match, now that it's been done, is something they can use to draw houses this year. Um, you know, they're they're doing, you know, Osaka-Joe Hall twice, New Beginning in Osaka and Dominion. There's going to be some other big shows. There's uh, rumors of potential a big U.S. show in August since the G1 is being moved um, from the summer to autumn to, um, you know, because the Olympics are going to be in Tokyo. 
to kind of facilitate for that. So there's going to be some bigger shows coming down this year that they could use that Okada Naito match to draw for. Definitely. Uh, and they definitely alluded to that. We'll talk about it. But uh, I also have concerns about the way they're booking Naito. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how marketable that ends up being. All right. So let's get to it. Uh, night one. So starting with the pre-show. We had uh, Mayu Iwatani. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, no, we uh, didn't get to see that match. Yeah, the start of the match was dark, and from what I'm hearing, it's not going to be up on Stardom World. That's yeah. what they confirmed on Twitter, right? So I also heard that like it was, it didn't get a huge reception in the dome um, at all. Just that like people were cordial, it, it occurred, but like it wasn't treated as anything that was like extremely special uh, right. in that environment, and. Um, they said it was a good match, not great, but I heard that like Julia didn't seem to be ready, as opposed to some of the other girls who were involved. Gotcha. I didn't really hear much about that. I know I heard the results. Uh, Mayu and Arisa won because, like I mentioned, you know, um, Han Kimura and Julia have a rivalry, so yes. they they couldn't work together. So that's why uh, yeah, Mai's they, they were like shoving each other before the bell, and that played into the story miscommunication. You know, mm-hmm. um, tempers rising, that sort of thing, but. From what I heard on uh, different podcasts that was there, they basically said uh, everyone else looked fine in the environment, but Julia was extremely green looking. She she looked like a deer in headlights, from what I understand. Uh, they said that she she's very talented, but you know, being an ice ribbon, which is even smaller promotion than um, than uh, stardom. stardom, and being I guess from what I understand, she's a little. Like newer to wrestling than the other three girls, is that correct? I'm not 100% sure. That's what they made it sound like, anyways. And they said, like, she still needs some seasoning. Like, she was the one person that kind of stood out as, like, not being quite ready for the same stage as these girls. Whereas, like, they're like, if they would have brought, like, we've talked about it in the past, like, like a a Kagetsu or Jungle Kiona or one of the other girls that had more seasoning, it might have turned out a little different, but they, they never were able to, like, get the crowd behind them, really. Yeah. Um, so following that dark match, we had the first match that aired on the pre-show with the team of Togi Makabe, Tomioka Hanma, Yuyamura, and Yota Suji taking on the team of Alex Coughlin, Carl, Carl Fredericks, Clark Connors, and Toa Hanare. Yeah, this was really fun. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, we, we mentioned it during the previous show, like I can't remember the last time that Young Lions really got, like, a prominent place, even on the pre-show, unless it was, like, maybe in a Rambo or something of that nature. Which even then, like, I don't think it... I kind of remember Hanari being in one a couple years ago before he changed his gimmick, but, that like, not much. Right. So this was a really cool showcase. Uh, nothing egregious here. Um, you know, we, we definitely talked about how it was going to be, uh, be uh, like, a sort of preview to the ongoing dojo feud between um, the LA dojo and and the Tokyo dojo. And we definitely had elements of that for sure. Um, anything stand out to you here? Well, uh, Alex Coughlin. My gosh. <laughs> yeah, bro. Well, like what, what is Shibata feeding that man? Like, don't get me wrong. He was, Oh, Oh, okay. Just breaking news. Sorry. Jeff Cobb is, uh, Announced official for Josh Barnett's Bloodsport GCW weekend here in uh, Tampa. Nice. So uh, I felt like that was relevant. It just <laughs> popped up. Um, I'm going to uh, be at that show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Coglin, man, like he was always had like he was always jacked, but he looked even bigger. He's this huge. Week. Yeah, this he's weekend. huge. Um, he looks like oh, 
they, they even made a comment on commentary <laughs> during news dash. They're like, like, what are they feeding those boys down there? Yeah. Like, Something's in the water. <laughs> quote, quote. And I'm like, it's the gas. <laughs> Beyond the gas. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man. But yeah, all the uh, LA Dojo young lions look great. Do Toa Hanare look re- really great. Great shape. Um, had a lot of fire. He started implementing some of the, the Muay Thai and MMA training. Uh, the strikes that he's been uh, doing over the last several months into this matchup here. Josh Smith Pro Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they looked really good. Um, obviously, uh, you know, uh, good old Makabe. I believe he only took one bump, if I remember correctly. It was either this or the Never Gauntlet. I think it was this match where he only. It was this match. You yeah. pointed out, you're like, oh, there's his. Oh, yeah, there's this one bump on the bump card. Yeah, there's, a, there's a one, you know, solid flat back, and that that's it. It, it might have been, um, I can't remember. If it was either a spine buster or a, uh, it might have been like a, uh, what's it called? Samoan drop. Yeah. One of those two things. But, yeah, this was, you know, good fun match. Uh, went seven minutes and 40 seconds. Ends with uh, Toa Hanare hitting the Toa bottom. On Yota Suji to get the pinfall for his team. So, um, Toa Hanare and the LA Dojo Young Lions get the win here. Yeah, and you were accurate in your predictions here. I was incorrect. I thought that they would maybe go with uh, Togi Makabe, but I'm actually pleasantly surprised. I'm glad to be wrong in this uh, case. We've talked a lot about Toa Hanare and his uh, future trajectory in the company, and up till now, it's kind of just been start-stop and not even really that much start. <laughs> right. Um, some, some some opportunities, but not a lot of steam behind him. But it feels like things are looking on the up for Tohanari going into 2020. He looked just so crisp in this match, so motivated. And, um, yeah, I can't wait for what's next for him. And um, Yeah, there, there, there was this, uh, this one, that one spin kick that he hit to, like, the face of somebody, one of the young lions. It was it's called the fade to black, <laughs> a black mask, or is that what it's called the black mask? Yeah, I never know. I, I fuck everyone's like finish your names up. Oh, uh, but yeah, this is good. Yeah, good stuff. So then uh, the next pre-show match we had the you know big anticipated rematch from the World Tag League: Satoshi Kojima and Hiroshi Tenzon taking on the team of Blue Justice, Yuji Nagata, Monster Morning, Manabu Nakanishi. Um, this was you know quick. Six minute match between the New Japan dads. That was a nice little, nice little outing there. It was fine. Um, nobody really embarrassed themselves. Um, it would belabor us to bring up the health ailments and uh, you know uh, mobility of Tenzan and Nakanishi. Those neither of those things are secrets at this point. It's something we talk about every time we discuss them. But with that being said, these guys have a lot of chemistry. They work together so often throughout the years and they came out there and they had a, a nice match in the dome. Um, you know, over the years, I think almost consistently, these guys always end up in the world tag league opposite one another in, you know, what, you know, on that one time in the calendar, you're like, man, this is so special. All the new Japan dads, the third generation, but it happens every year. So it's, <laughs> it's not that special, right? But you know, every year you're kind of like, I wonder when, I wonder like how much longer we're going to be able to see this. You know what I mean? And um, this is probably going to be the last major dome match for the majority of these guys in this match, which is kind of like some people are like, well, why are these? Why is Tenkozy and you know Blue Justice taking up uh, a spot on the dome? And it's like, uh, 
because these were like the biggest stars of the right. 2000s. These guys are like living legends and <laughs> were like superstars, you know, in their heyday. And and you know what? For having a short little match like this, I feel like they all worked really hard. Uh, you know, Nakanishi got his double, uh, what's it called? Northern Lights suplex on right. Tenkozy. Uh, Tenzon hit his spots. Nagata looked good. Kojima looked great, just like he has all year. This was fine, and it was fun. Um, you know, you kind of parallel this. I, I mentioned this during the um, while we were watching the broadcast. I was like, you know, you you kind of compare this to say like the Brothers Destruction against DX mm. from uh, what was that from? That was from one of those Saudi, Saudi shows, yeah. Guys that are roughly the same age from the same generation, and you kind of compare that match to this match, and you tell me who you think are the better workers at this stage of their life. You know what I mean? Right. I, I would take this 100 times out of 100. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still haven't watched that Saudi match. To um, me, Shawn Michaels' last match was against <laughs> The Undertaker. So, I mean, this was fine. And, um, you know, uh, we kind of speculated. We thought uh, with um, Tenkozi taking a loss during the uh, World Tag League to Blue Justice, which is a team that they almost consistently defeat year after year, and they finally got beat. We thought that maybe they would try to avenge that loss, and it seems like they did. Um, Kojima hitting the uh, Western Lariat on, was it Nakanishi? Yeah, first they hit him with the uh, Tenkoji Cutter, then the strongest arm came in with that big Lariat and oh took God, him down. One, <laughs> two, three. Satoshi Kojima gets the big win in the Dome, avenges a loss from the World Tag League, and Bread Club celebrates worldwide. Yeah, we had a we had a nice little pop. Uh, some of us popped harder than others, <laughs> but it was good. It was good. And, um, you know, we we are hypothesizing that this maybe will hypothetically lead to a Kojima run in the G1. I, I hope so. And, you know, putting my markdom aside, I, I think Kojima definitely deserves to have that um, that last G1 send off just like Nagata had and uh, Tenzon. Some of these other guys have had. Yeah. I think he deserves. I know it's going to be tough. Getting a spot, especially with the new guys coming in, and seems like for G1, they're trying to definitely keep it as fresh as possible, but I'm hoping that they make room for Kojima just one more time. Well, Kojima, you just have to stay healthy and look good for a little bit longer than normal, because G1's going to be later this year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one last thing was, um, did you notice Nakanishi stayed in the ring after everyone else went to the back, and he bowed to everyone and waved and then walked out? So maybe that was his. I don't know that it's like a official retirement. I think they would probably say something if it was, but I'm guessing it's he probably is, is taking this as like, given his health, given his mobility, it's probably his last match in the dome ever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, did you know in 1999 he was supposed to wrestle uh, Goldberg in the dome? I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> Fell through. It didn't happen. Oh but my god. That was supposed to be a, that was supposed to be a Tokyo Dome match. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe it was either that or 2000, one of those two years. I can't remember. Um, So let's get to the official start of the show uh, with the eight-man tag team match for the first uh, Jushin Thunder Liger retirement match. Uh, We had uh, the team of Naoki Sano, Shinjiro Otani, Tatsuhito Takaiwa, Ryuzuki Taguchi, um, accompanied by Kuniaki Kobayashi, taking on the team of Jushin Thunder Liger, Tatsumi Fujinami, the great Sasuke, and Tiger Mask, also accompanied by El Samurai. Also, this match was special guest refereed by Norio Honaga. And um, I loved this 
match. We also had the the old school uh, New Japan ring announcer. Yes, for the you know give it the full touch and uh, you know this is this was Liger's three thousand and five hundred and fiftieth match ever. Wow, um, great! And you know all the entrances for these guys. Uh, I don't know if you pay attention to their their Titan. Where, where'd you get that stat? Um, it was I was on the the commentary. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And then on my notes here, that I'm looking at it's uh, noted as well. Um, you took notes during this. Well, you I'm know. off rip. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I know what you're saying. The uh, they they made all of the uh, the special videos related to Liger specifically. Right. The Titan Tron for all the guys showed kind of their matches with Liger and connections and yeah. just special moments. I thought that was such an awesome touch. I thought every single one of these guys um, had such a cool entrance. Like they were short, but like just uh, like you mentioned, they the the Titan Trons were. Really well done, and then like each guy was kind of given a special moment when he walked out. I'm, I mean, we haven't seen someone. I mean, Fujinami specifically, like home, the reaction <laughs> to him. I know he's older, but like my his freaking uh, you know kimono or robe was just freak. His his robe was awesome, man. Yeah, uh, great Sasuke. He had a, a tribute with the half Sasuke half Liger mask. Yep. Yep. He wore for his entrance. That was really cool. Yeah, and uh, a lot of these guys, too, like wore the kind of gear that they wore during the era when they were wrestling with Liger, and a lot of them still wrestle but don't wear that gear. Like, for instance, Sasuke has an orange, almost like a uh, Buddhist monk gimmick now, and he that's not how he dressed then, but when he came in, he came in with the, the, the black like Sasuke gear that you might be more familiar with from that era. Same thing with Naoki Sano. He wore like the 89 gear, which I was very surprised by that. Cause I haven't seen, I, I mean, I haven't followed his career extensively, but I think it's been a long time since he wore that. Um, I was surprised to see Shinjiro Tani, uh, wearing a wrestle one shirt on his, way out. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, this, this, uh, dude, this match, eight minutes, 52 seconds did not overstay. It's welcome. It was, Dude, it was exactly what it needed to be. It was better than what it needed to, bro. This this match could have been a train wreck, and it probably would have literally been fine. These guys, this was literally like the WrestleMania 17 over the top rope uh, gimmick, battle gimmick battle royal, yeah. Where it was terrible, but it was older guys' gimmicks. You know, you kind of just like give them the pass. That's not what this. That's what this could have been, and it would have been fine. This was so much better than that. These guys actually like. Really looked good. Yeah. Dude, Sano and his uh, suicide dive. Bro. Oh, my scared. gosh. <laughs> of, of, of everybody who came into the ring, Sano was the guy I was most nervous about because he looks the furthest removed, in at least in the face, from how he looked from when I remember him. And um, But once he took off his robe, he actually cosmetically, his Look, bi- body looked pretty good. Yeah. His body looked fine. And um, I remember a few years back when he was like in Noah and in New Japan where his body did not look good, <laughs> uh, even like a decade ago. So, I mean, um, or even further back than that. So that was that was one thing. But he was the one guy that was like huffing and puffing the whole time and not out of exhaustion, out of nervousness. Like you could see it on his face. He was like... Oh shit! <laughs> There's forty thousand people watching <laughs> me, <laughs> and like I, I could tell that he really felt like the moment, like he didn't want to be an embarrassment uh, or anything. And I think he probably did have the roughest go of anyone in the match. Um, that suicide dive was scary, but still yeah. freaking awesome. And then the uh, the double stomp where he almost broke his ankles. <laughs> I, yeah, that was bad. I he did a double stomp, but he, in um it might not have been this match. I think he might have done it in both matches where he did a giant double drop kick off the top rope. Yeah, which was awesome. Um, 
everybody really like got their stuff in. This wasn't so much a match about Liger specifically. It was your classic New Japan style match where everybody. It was kind of like a throwback. Everybody got their stuff in. Yeah, you know, Fujinami's in dragon screws and dragon sleepers. Yes, yes. Uh, Tiger Mask. It was funny because um, we watched this with uh, our a lot of our friends, and James was there. And James is definitely I wouldn't call him a novice to New Japan, whatever whatsoever. But I wouldn't call him an expert either. Um, James typically will watch bigger shows with us, and he knows quite a bit. But like, he's not watching the road to shows. So when you see a guy like Tiger Mask, he was like actually blown away at how good Tiger Mask looked, and I was like. Yeah, it's because I was like, he's a regular wrestler. Like he right. be, he'd be in here. Yeah, like Tiger Mask has that big uh, cross body dive off the top to the outside. But <laughs> with that being said, he was working way. This was like uh, the first three nights of best of the Super Juniors. Tiger Mask, you know. Yeah. Like he like Tiger Mask nowadays only works hard those first three nights. Right when he, when he's winning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he worked really hard here. He looked good. He he hit that awesome outside dive. Um, Everybody looked really good. Otani and Takaiwa looked good. Um, Dude, Takaiwa was those chops, man. Bro, he's always been a bruiser. Like, it makes you want to go k- check out some Otani and Takaiwa, huh? Yeah, let's check. I just want to watch all these dudes now, man. <laughs> Bro, I, I love Naoki Sano. Like, I was, I was so happy that all these guys got their stuff in. But you know, at the end of the day, I really thought Liger was going to pick up the win here. I knew he's going out on his back, but I thought for sure. Given the collection of guys on the other side, he was going to win. But the one thing that we said last week, I was like, if anyone's going to beat him, it has to be Taguchi. And I was like, I don't really see the point, but Taguchi could beat him. And then when the two of them ended up being the last two guys in the ring and they'd gone like eight minutes, I was like, fuck. Right. We got <laughs> the uh, the Bumaye followed up by the Dodan, and Taguchi gets the win. I remember last week on the show, I was like, Man, Liger likes calling his back. What if he wins? And you and Chris were like, no, 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 man. Liger's, Liger's <laughs> going to win this. And I was like, all right, yeah, you guys are right. <laughs> oh, yeah, we dissuaded you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, during your official predictions with um, Imp and Sir Sam, did you make Liger your pick? Yes, I, I, I went with Team Liger. Um, I should have gone down my gut. Because, you know, I, I did I did kind of clean up on the prediction contest, both of us, because they were doing LOP Versus Social Suplex, we uh, mopped them boys on the prediction contest. You can check that calm out on lordofpain.net. But, um, yeah, I was I was feeling, I was like, man, Liger, the man hates going over. He's going to have, you know, Taguchi do the one, two, three. And that's exactly what happened here. This this match was so much better than it had any right to be. So enjoyable. I When I say I loved it, I mean I really loved it. Um, I, I can easily go three and a half on this. I know that that might be a little high for other people's books, but like for me, three and a half. This is an easy three and a half. Yeah, yeah, it was a real, real fun, good match. Where were you? Probably like three and a quarter. Yeah, I think I went three and a quarter on it. Yeah. I think for me, like just the crowd, the energy, the nostalgia, the moment, the post match. I kind of take all that into consideration. Plus the surprise factor, like Sano doing the crazy dives. <laughs> like, right. All of that really got to me. Yeah, I love it. Like we talked about too in the past, as far as like time and star ratings, this was nine minutes. Like. Three and a quarter, three and a half, whatever you want to give it, that's really good for a nine-minute match. I'll tell you this. There's a lot of matches here that I might quote-unquote like better, but I might find myself watching this nine-minute Liger match more often because it's nine minutes, and it was good. You're going to try and convince me (laughs) to make this the match of the month? No. It's like, all right, the uh, the January match of the month is going to be uh, the Liger Retirement 1 match. Like, what? 
It sounds like I'm making that argument, doesn't it? <laughs> At the end of the month, we'll be like, all right, so uh, Kata, Bushi, Naito, Kata, Liger retirement match one. What? <laughs> oh, oh, my, my gosh. God. Match of the year candidates for the <laughs> 2020 awards. Oh, my gosh. It was good, man. Yeah, was all good. right, so let's get to these... Uh, these eight man tag action. So, yeah, um, so then we uh, turned into Road to Wrestle Kingdom and <laughs> <laughs> Road to Tokyo Dome continued. Yeah, we had um, Suzuki Gun consisting of Zack Sabre Jr., Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and El Desperado taking on Los Ingobernables de Japón, Evil, Sonata, Shingo, and Bushi. Yeah, so um, this was not egregiously long, which is good. It was about eight minutes and some change. Um, at a certain point, I w- once we were watching the show and we start, before we got to the actual like singles matches, I kind of do you remember that statement I made? I was like, doesn't it kind of remind you of like the old school WrestleManias, like where the matches kind of just are happening really quick? There's like a lot of matches on the card, but they don't get a lot of time. Right. That's kind of what the undercard felt like here in a way. But this is definitely a uh, Suzuki Goon style match. They attacked at the bell. They brawled. You know, all over the outside area, they didn't let Lij kind of get a moment to breathe. Um, eventually, it kind of like devolved into your standard eight man tag that you get in New Japan. It was fine, um, but a few talking points that I noticed: one, um, when they came out on the Suzuki Goon side, they came out with Zack Saber's music and not Minoru Suzuki, which was a little surprising. Um, and then the other thing too was, um, I was hoping that this match would lead to some sort of angle. And not only this match, but the the next match as well. And I was like, you know what? I'm fine with them doing these eight-man tags if they build something bigger off the actual matches right. for the guys who are kind of getting excluded from singles like Shingo, Suzuki, and Ishii. And we did not get that. This ended up just being sort of your standard, like you mentioned, to Road 2 preview match where it was all about Zack Sabre and Sonata and pretty much just a preview for the the six man gauntlet, which was dark match the next night, anyways. Right. And um, the one thing I will say though about these undercard matches, like you mentioned, they were really short. And then that, I'll give them credit on that. They knew they had these multi man matches um, that people are probably sour on, or like they were less than ten minutes. Get in, get out. You highlight the matches for night two, and that was good. Um, but like, yeah, you mentioned they came out to Saber's music because obviously the match was about Saber and Sonata for that Rev Pro title. On night two, plus they were saving that Kaze Nina Ray pop for night two as well. Oh, I, th- um, I was going to wait to get to that. I didn't <laughs> want to spoil it. Um, I mean, at this point, at that here. point, when we when they came out to Zack Saber, we were like, "Ooh, the, the rumors about Suzuki, mm-hmm. him, they're not coming out to his music." And then at during the post match, Suzuki was nowhere to be seen. He was just he was kind of a non factor in the match. He was barely. Right. I mean, he inter, he interacted, uh, I believe, with Evil a little bit, but the, we didn't even get, like, the Shingo-Suzuki kind of uh, standoff during the match that you would have hoped for. So at that point, we're like, oh, I don't know. Which makes me think, like... Are they saving it? No, I'm wondering if, like... You know how we talk about, like, a lot of times guys in New Japan when they're doing the backstage promos and the pressers? Kind but they of, kind of go in business for themselves? Right. I'm wondering if Shingo and Suzuki... We're trying to angle for a match. Yeah, like they were trying to heat something up, and so that you know potentially the bookers would be like, "Oh, yeah, this is a good combo. Let's do this." Well, I I remember famously Bushi when they were doing the uh, 
the four way a couple years ago for the junior title, and he was like, "Let's make it a five way." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> He's like, "I think this match would be better if it was a five way." <laughs> like what? And and it was, and he mentioned it every single promo of every single night of the World Tag League. For over a month, and then he never got it. Right. He's like, I really think <laughs> the matchmaker should consider making this five-way. It's kind of like when you're uh, you're out and you're dating someone and you really want something. They're like, what do you want? You're like, well, it's up to you. I mean, if you want to get this food, we'll get that. But if it's okay with you, I, I wouldn't be opposed to getting this. And then they end up getting the other food anyways. Like, that's what it's kind of like. Right. <laughs> I would I would like it if we did a five-way, but it's up to you, Gator. I mean, <laughs> whatever you want. <laughs> Oh, yeah. But, you know, this was a, a good match for what it was. It came down to Zack Sabre and Bushi, and Sabre was able to avenge his loss against Bushi from the road to Tokyo Dome show yep. and uh, submitted Bushi. Yeah, and that was a good call um, on our part, Victory Lap. We and Actually, I, I want to give you the, the credit because you're the one who kind of had the foresight. You're like, you know, he's probably going to beat Bushi given the fact that Bushi defeated him on the road to Tokyo Dome, and that made all the sense in the world to build up to their match the next night. So that was fine. But um, we're going to talk about the sixth match here, the Chaos versus uh, Bullet Club eight-man tag. I do want to say this. Bef- as Even though these matches were short and everything like that, they did nothing really to actually build the show. I don't think they helped business to tell a better story they didn't create any angles or project any other future storylines. They were kind of just taking up space. Now, keep in mind, that sort of thing did used to happen. Not every Wrestle Kingdom is chock full of singles matches. I mean, you look at some of the earlier ones, there were multi-man matches. It's not, you know, five or six years ago wouldn't have been that unheard of. But when you look at how stacked the roster is today, and we're going to talk about some other questionable booking decisions on night two, like we said all along, they did not need these two eight-man tags. Right. You could have easily dropped both of these matches and done a, a, an Ishii singles match, a Suzuki singles match, a Shingo singles match. I just think, I understand all these guys are great workers. They need to be on the card, get their payday, and that's fine, and I agree with that. And I would have, I would be fu- I would have actually been happier had they done the gauntlet here. That would have been fine to me. Do the gauntlet on the main card. Get those guys the payday. There's no need to do the eight-man tag. Do whatever you want to do, but, like, ultimately, let's maximize the the time and space we have available. Uh, You know, I wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt for the eight-man tags to say, in Gato we trust, let's wait. But these were wastes of time. Right, especially this uh, next matchup here with the Chaos team of Yoshihashi, Toriyano, Tomohiro Ishii, and Hiroki Goto. Against the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens, Yujiro Takahashi, Bad Luck Fale, and Kenta. Yes. Now, the one thing, again, and we'll point it out, even though they're a waste of time, even though they're questionable booking decisions, these weren't bad matches, so it wasn't like they really destroyed the card or hurt it. It was just kind of like you didn't get as much bang for your buck as you would be hoping for on a Wrestle Kingdom. Right. But um, I will say this. I did not enjoy the Chaos Bullet Club 8-man tag as much as the Suzuki Goon LIJ one. Right. Yeah, the... We talk about it all the time on this show. The LIJ multi-man matches are, are usually pretty good. Actually, now I'm thinking about it, I might take that back. I really like Toriano's stuff in this match. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, he, he was hilarious. Toriano was, he was hilarious. I think he was the star of the match in a way. He kind of was. He kind of was. Like He was like the highlighted guy. Like Him and 
His interactions with Balak Fale were hilarious in this match. But, right. but those guys are always comedy gold when they're around each other. Right. And then obviously a lot of the focus, too, was on uh, Goto and Kenta. And they had a nice little sequence uh, towards the end. But then it came down to um, Goto and Yujiro. And Goto did the Ushiguroshi and the GTR on Ujiro to get the win for Chaos. I liked Ishii getting a chance to hoist uh, Bad Luck Fale up in the air and bring him down for a giant suplex. Yeah, that was an awesome spot. That was a, that was a great spot. Uh, fine match. It wasn't anything special, but, you know, um, post-match, did, Koto, did Goto and Kenta even get into it? I can't even really remember. Uh, I don't. They might have like jaw jacked at each other, but I don't really remember them brawling or anything. I, I'll just say this: if I was a casual fan, casual viewer, and I saw these two matches and they were preview matches, neither one of them would have really done much for me as a casual viewer to anticipate the matches on the second night. Yeah, they were like a little almost too insidery. Like if you really want to build those matches, you got to do a better job highlighting them and and telling the story, or better yet. Save this for the actual Road 2 show and put some real Wrestle Kingdom caliber matches on the card. Right. But then um, after that, we got to the uh, IWGP Tag Team Championship match. The uh, World Tag League 2019 winners, Finn Juice, Juice Robinson, David Finley, taking on the reigning IWGP Tag Team Champions, the Grills of Destiny, Tamatanga, Tangaloa, with Jado uh, for the titles. Um where do we want to start? Do we want to talk about the match, or do we want to talk about Juice? For, we, we need to talk about Juice first, man. <laughs> Dude. So we already mentioned the World Tag League Tour. Like, you know, Juice is looking a little, little thick. You know, that, you know, a little, you know, a little doughy. Not the normal Juice Robinson that we're used to seeing. Yeah. He's like, you know what? Whatever. Let it slide. Then this man came out here. With the gimmick beard, bro, it wasn't a gimmick beard. It was a, a, a handlebar mustache, that. but like rounded, like a rounded handlebar mustache. Like I, I, I'm doing it with my hands. You guys can't see, but yeah, is there like a? I think there's like a, a name for it. That's why. That's why I call it a gimmick because I don't know. What like the, it wasn't it's quite it's a Fu Manchu, yeah, but it's close to one. Just um, think like a Freddie Mercury beard, but rounder and longer, like. Down, almost like a goatee, but with just the bottom part like gone. gone. Yeah, and then he still has his terrible hair, where it's shaved around the sides, but like mid mid length on top. But it's not braided. It's not styled in any way. It's just kind of like a um, medium fro. And then he had, the, had this cop hat on, just the, and aviators, and just this t shirt, just normal their their new t shirt. Yeah, and then he's got you know his his gear that matches with Dave Finley's, but it's just. It just looks really, really, really... His whole look, his whole attire, his whole gear, his whole vibe, his whole cosmetic approach just screamed to me, 90s jobber. Dude, he, yeah, I said it on Twitter. He looks like a goof. He looks like a he goof. He looks like a complete goof. And I love Juice. We've talked to Juice in person in New Orleans. You know... We've I, interviewed Juice in I, person. I think he's a great wrestler. He is. Bro, we've lived and died with, with Juice Robinson's... Um, you know, rise from young lion to mid card to upper mid card to you know like uh, believable champion to to where he is now. Like, and um, I don't know what's going on. What do you think's going on, dude? I don't know, man. Like, just 
I don't know. <laughs> well, here's what I do know. The guy looked really motivated for his match with Mox. Loses the title. Goes in the G1. Has a very underrated G1. Great matches with a lot of great guys. The whole story is building to him and Juice, or I'm sorry, him and Mox on the final night. He beats Mox in the final night. Big career win. That leads to the match that they're supposed to have at what, King of Pro Wrestling? Right. Tsunami hits. That doesn't end up happening. He ends up losing in a pretty one-sided match to uh, Lance Archer. And from there, it sort of feels like a slow free fall. Maybe we didn't notice it all at once, but it was like little by little. Like his match, like I can't think of any notable matches he had after the after the Lance Archer match. I know he wasn't really having singles matches. His tag matches were kind of uninspired. And then his like physique started to like not he didn't look as cut, he didn't look as ripped, and then his gear and his look and he started growing his hair out. And by the time the World Tag League came around, I was like, uh, Juice looks kind of out of shape, you know? Right. And um, they had a fine World Tag League. They did. Uh, they were probably the tag team of the tournament, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah. But um, a lot of it was due to Dave Finley. Dude, yeah, Dave Finley. Like, he looked like the star of the two. Yep. Dave Finley looks more like the star. And, you know, Juice has a lot going for him. He's taller. He's bigger. Um, he's definitely got a lot more traction with the crowd in New, in New Japan, uh, a more storied past. Like, he is the star of the two guys, make no mistake about it, but it's, and he, he even, it's not, like, us saying, like, he, did, he didn't look like his normal self, it, that's not just us saying it. This is something he was saying on commentary or, or in backstage promos, like, pretty regularly all throughout World Tag League. Right, yeah. They were talking, yeah, the first night he was like, yeah, you know, clearly I've gained the weight, something like that he said in the backstage promos, so. And, um, you know, we're not here to body shame anybody. Right, and I'm not, like, end of the day, Juice Robinson is in way better shape than I am. Like, I, I don't know, man. You're pretty jacked. <laughs> uh, you know, I'd, I'd be fine, you know, rocking a Juice body, but just compared to what we seen in the past to what we see now it's not even the body thing even though that's part of it it's the fact that like in the past to me juice has screamed star there's been so many times where i'm like juice is a freaking star even and so much so was he a star that he'd get away with his terrible outfits let's let's not mince words juice robinson has terrible ring attire 90 percent of the time even if i kind of like the things he wears they're not cool. <laughs> like the um the juice taker thing that he wore. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, um the uh the Washington the George Washington outfit he wore all throughout the G one the year before. Like Juice had some terrible, terrible attires. Um but he's always come off as such a star that it really didn't matter. It's, it just kinda fit him. You're like, all right, this, this is just juice. But now Juice came out and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like his hair looks terrible. His gear looks terrible. His physique looks terrible. He doesn't look happy. Like, this is not... He doesn't look like a star. He looks like a, a 90s jobber in WWF. He looks like the kind of guy that you come back from commercial and he's already in the ring and he never had an, uh, like an, an, entrance, an, right. an entrance. And they're like, Juice Robinson. And he gets the <laughs> graphic and he puts his arm up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he looks like right now. Yeah, um, He looks like he should have been in the Rosebuds... Uh, like just Adam one, Rose, yeah. Like one of the Adam Rose guys who, like, you know, were like, I don't know who that guy is, but he's pretty tall. 
in six months when he actually comes on to NXT, he's going to be good. <laughs> Except Juice was on NXT like seven years ago, you know, or right, whatever it was. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on. But part of me thinks that what ends up happening on night two, maybe he was privy to it. And maybe the booking that has uh, been given to him over the last couple you know, last quarter of this year might have something to do with what we're seeing right now. I don't know. Yeah. Well, let's dive into the match here. So match is fine. We had um, <laughs> Juice and Finley. They met G.O.D. in the rampway during G.O.D.'s entrance, and they uh, brawled there and kind of started the match there. Never, I, never mind, G.O.D. didn't have the cool helmets on, the face paint. Dude, as soon as I saw them, G.O.D.'s losing. As, as soon as they came out in their mid-ass like, gear, we were like... G.O.D. about like, to drop these straps. No special gear, no Iron Man mask, they didn't no have, face they, they paint. They had their jackets, like, you know, the cool jackets they were right. wearing last year. They're like, nah. They came out in their regular attire. We're like, oh, they're about to Not even this. matching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We're like, oh, they're about to drop these belts, these boys. All right. But, uh, yeah, so started the brawl on the rampway. Juice took a back body drop on the ramp, so he sold his back uh, majority of the match. Yeah, um... Everyone worked really good, like, really hard here. The match was good. It wasn't great. The crowd didn't seem to really care, to be honest. But from a, like, a wrestling standpoint, it was fine. They got heat. I I think Juice was kind of the face in peril for most of the match. Yeah, they got the heat on Juice. Kind of leading to Dave Finley kind of being the hot tag guy. Very Southern style type of match. I mean, um, not a great Southern style, but just your standard or even, like, your quote unquote WWF style tag. It was kind of like that. That this was actually the match where I was like, does this kind of remind you of like WrestleMania? Where like you know the old '90s WrestleManias because these matches are kind of like you're excited for them, but they're not like delivering. But they're they're fast, so it doesn't matter. You're getting like good results. That's mm-hmm. kind of what this was like. But um, the story of this match is really about Dave Finley, right? Like we mentioned, Dave Finley looked, looked like the star out of the two, and you know we mentioned it on. Last week's show and our show on Shot Radio with Outsiders Edge. This match was all about, it's really about David Finley. And the moment here was uh, for David Finley. And with a big comeback from injury, he's in great shape. And this moment was about, because, you know, Juice has had his, his Wrestle Kingdom moments. Juice has had matches at the Dome. Like, this was Finley's, this was Finley's first match on the main card, right? Ever. Yeah, ever. So this was a big deal for David Finley. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it, it was good. It wasn't great. It was good. But they didn't – I mean, they were given 13 minutes. Um, we've seen Finn Juice and G.O.D. This is the one thing I really don't like about the current iteration of how World Tag League is set up is that um, we're, we're seeing in the Dome a match that we've seen maybe multiple times during World Tag League. Right. You know? At this point, um, sometimes just once, but one like last year we saw it twice, and so prior to it happening, so it's getting to a point where it's like even though we cover this, I'm like I don't even know if I want to watch World Tag League next year if they're going to keep doing it this way. Um, I would much rather get a match, a fresh match, a fresh match, just like we always get at the end of the G1 for in most cases. So I mean that makes more business sense to me, and that would have been better here, but. Um, it was fine. I, I was happy Finn Juice won. I was happy for the moment. And I think uh, Juice and Dave Finley, for everything that... Okay, let let me just say this. For every criticism that we mentioned about Juice, it's mainly because we see Juice as a top 
singles star. We hold him in very high regard. Right. And so it's very unusual to see him where he's at now. But as far as tag team, him and Finjuice, him and Dave Finley are awesome. Finjuice is a great tag team. I think they add a lot to the division. Um, and I, I am excited to see what happens in the new year with them, uh, you know, picking up the straps from G.O.D. here. And I, I wouldn't be opposed to them wrestling again down the line. But, uh, you know, this was a, a pretty good moment. Um, yeah. And I'm glad for, you know, Juice and Dave Finley. Yeah, there was um, also, you know, minimal bull club shenanigans in this match. You know, Jada was out there. But um, they took care of him throughout the match. And uh, he got ate a left hand of God towards the end there. Yeah. Uh, and then um, Finley comes and saves Juice from eating ape shit from uh, Loa, and Finley hits the sliced bread. One, two, three. We have new champions. They did get me a little bit on their. Uh, they did a magic killer, and I I bit on it for a moment. I don't know if you remember. I was yeah. Like, I was like, is that it? <laughs> um, so and then you're like, you're like, you Meltzer explained to me. They're like, well, actually, <laughs> well, actually, Josh, their, yeah. their finisher is the super power bomb, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> They could be a bitch with a with a magic killer. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, they could be some young lions with that. Chill. It's a good move. Oh, man. And then um, we got to, after that, the eighth match of the card, where this is basically where Rich said, the real show starts. This is where business picked up. Yes. The Texas death match for the IWGP United States Championship. The champion, the murder hawk monster, Lance Archer, Defending against the deaf rider, John Moxley. You know, this match didn't, for a while, it almost seemed far-fetched that we'd be getting a match between Mox and Archer. Go Like, when people would ask us, what do you see Moxley doing at the Dome? We are like, I don't know, you know? I mean, Archer has the belt, but they never wrestled before. Archer's kind of calling him out, but, you know, what's the story? What's the build? There's nothing there. But they did a good job in the last month with Moxley showing up in Japan, attacking Archer and Suzuki at the end of the World Tag League, and then the uh, the um, really, really awesome promo that Archer did, um, which I don't think we talked about that on the show last week. No, I don't it, think it, it dropped after we recorded, yeah. Yeah, that promo was awesome, like around the fire, cutting the promo about, about Moxley. Yeah, and um, that was a really, really great promotional video i I wish more guys would kind of take it upon themselves to do creative and inventive things like that especially if you're given the autonomy to do so and um archer definitely like sees the moment once what here's the funny thing uh i was with megan uh, or saying names on the i was with my girlfriend (laughs) why why are you afraid to say name there (laughs) because i'm private (laughs) i i don't like well because i don't want anyone to google me and then like google and then like be in my business know stuff about me there's psychos you know (laughs) but um i was with my girlfriend and um i played that video and then she was and she's a wrestling fan she was listening to it and she's like i want to see this match now (laughs) and i was like lance archer talking people into the dome The big draw. He, he drew that forty thousand. Yeah, he drew the forty thousand. <laughs> but um, they did a good job, like building to this match to where finally, after after those videos and the and you know the attack and and the angle, I was like, man, I really want to see this. Like, I cannot wait. So we get there in the dome, and um, it was a moment. I I wanted, I wanted Moxley with with the freaking tights. Yes, he he's dropped the tights. Look now. Um, I like the G1, the tights, the jacket, the knee pads, the wrestling shoes. 
I love that look, and now he's shooter mocks. Yeah, now he's just gone to the you know the Dean Ambrose style of just jean, you know, just long jean pants or camel pants. The funny thing was he was wearing the uh, the like when he came out in the pants. Uh, <laughs> Um, James Boyd, we were watching it with James. James is like, he's not wearing the tights, but he's got better pants on. Everything about Moxley's better in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, this match was crazy, man. This this was violent. Yeah, dude. And, um, you know, honestly, this match could have gone one or two ways. Like, it could have gone the way it did and great, or it could have been this like this sloppy plunder weapon brawl where they're just throwing each other through stuff. But... Um, I really like this, this was a great match. Um, it was brutal. You had Archer coming out there with a trash cans lid that says Mox dies. I loved that. He came out with the two trash cans and yeah, it had Mox dies, Mox on the one and then dies on the other one. And then um, I think it was Rocky Romero who was like, I don't think I've ever seen an American style trash can lid <laughs> in Japan. He's like, I'm pretty sure this man brought this from Texas. Right. <laughs> Man, flew over with the gimmicks. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. Um, and, and you know what, what else I loved about this match? So, you know, they had the whole KO thing. You know, essentially last man standing was part of the rules. And unlike, you know, the WWE style where they're counting. As soon as they fall? Yeah, so they take a shoulder bump. One. Two. It's like, obviously that shoulder tackle at the beginning of the match is it's not going to get you the 10 count. They... Executed the 10 count on bigger spots, on bigger moves, where it was more realistic that they would actually be down for some point in time. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some people kind of criticize certain aspects. Like, there was some confusion about the way the count worked in the very beginning of the match. Um, I noticed that, but, you know, I, I they've only ever done a match like this one other time in, in New Japan, and so I'm not going to nitpick it that way. Right. I, you know, I, I'm probably in the minority here. Although I think there are a lot of people who probably agree with me. I like this a lot better than Moxley and Omega, personally. Um, it just, to me, it didn't feel like you mentioned this, like, meandering plunder spot fest where it was like we're going from spot to spot to spot that's, like, all laid out. Right, and it's, like, real realistic weapons. Like, obviously, there are extra chairs under ringside, there's extra tables um, for the announcement. Like, Moxie brought a candlestick. Archer brought trash cans. Like, there wasn't, like, a random glass table. Everything really flowed well. Like, these guys felt like they were having an actual brawl. Um, even, for instance, there was the time where Archer tried to do the rope walk, and he, I, some people think it was planned, but I'm pretty sure it was a botch where he slipped. Yeah. And then Mox covered it. By hitting with the candlestick, yeah. Some people don't like stuff like that. They're like, oh, I don't like when I notice that there's a botch. And I'm like, I'm fine with I'm fine with things not going perfectly in wrestling as long as it doesn't detract from the overall match or the quality of the match or the story. And in that case, I thought Mark Mox did a really, really good job kind of like covering and, and pro- it was so fast in between the time Archer slipped and Mox was hitting with the Kindle stick. Yeah. And, and that was fine. Um, and there was just so many segments and sequences that just felt very like static, chaotic. They didn't seem like they were, it wasn't like we were sitting around waiting for one guy. Like, Okay, for for example, you watch a WWE style match of this, and like you're like, there's no weapons that have been introduced yet, and then the guy's like searching underneath the ring, <laughs> yeah, and then they're like, what's he doing? What's he looking for in there? And then all of a sudden, he like slowly pulls out the kendo stick, and everyone's like, oh. 
<laughs> and I'm like, no, I wasn't like that. They were like, run it. Crack, crack, crack. And I was like, oh, my God. These Dude, guys are trying to Mox kill each was other. was getting welted up from the, those kendo shots. Bro, Archer was fucking him up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they were hitting each other hard, too. Like, yeah. they were working really, really, really stiff. Like, that's the one thing we were watching. We we're like, dude, they're hitting each other like, not with weapons, but with their fists and forearms. We're like, they're working stiff. Yeah, then there was a great spot where Archer um, choke slams a young lion onto Moxley on the outside. That was great. I loved that. Um, Archer just going around punching young lions in the middle of the match. The whole match was, <laughs> like, something I loved. Yeah, then he hit the uh, the, the taker dive on Moxley and the young lions. Yes, which apparently CM Punk doesn't like that spot, but fuck you. <laughs> um, the one the one thing that some people might not have liked, but I kind of liked, was that he brought out a plastic bag so that he could put the claw on Arch or on Moxley and suffocate choke, him and yeah. suffocate him with the iron claw. And we had we'd had some questions last week, and even going further back, we're like, well, in this match. How is it going to work with the claw? And I was like, I liked the way they did it. Like, they kind of made it even more, like, quote-unquote vicious because he's trying to kill him. Right. Literally. Like, every, literally. Everybody dies a shoot. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone dies is a shoot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was great. And then uh, they didn't overdo the, um, the, the moments where people are, like, getting up at the last moment. Like, there was one time, uh, I think it was when Mox went through the all the chairs with the blackout. Oh, yes, that spot was awesome. And he was, they, they did the 10 count, and at 8, he was almost up, but he fell back down, and I was like, <gasps> oh, my God. And then he got right, like, at the end of 9, he got up, and he was about to lose, and I was like, oh, this is good. It was good, bro. It was yeah. good. Yeah, and then it all led to the big finish where uh, they set two tables up outside and Mox does a Death Rider off the apron through the tables, like break through both tables. and um, Archer's arm got, got cut, cut up. up. Yeah. It was a mess. And um, got to the nine count and Moxley was able to get up at the last second. Archer started stirring a little bit but couldn't quite get up and Moxley got to his feet and... Rocky two finish. Shout out to Rich Latta. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, have you seen all the Rocky movies? I have not. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I was like, there's one of us who hasn't. I know I, me, James, and Rich have seen all of them. Like, we always talk about doing a, a Rocky podcast, but we've never done it. <laughs> I think Caleb wants to be on it. <laughs> but um, I love this match. Um, I, we th- That spot where they went through both tables. I think just the reputation of the Japanese tables that they don't break and then they broke both of them. Yes, both of them. <laughs> I was like, man, probably one's going to break. Yeah. No, they broke. They went through both of them. Both those things. Bro, he, he did a freaking Death Rider to a huge ass dude in Archer. I was like, he's not hitting Archer with the Death Rider. He put him through a table. Um, everyone at our party, there's like five of us. We all were standing with our like mouths over our hands. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude, we love that spot. And yeah, dude, this was a great match. Bro, uh, 14 minutes, 26 seconds. Did it feel like it was that short? Dude, it, 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 it I don't know. It, it felt long and short at the same time. Right. Like it, it felt epic. So it felt long, but it happened so quick. It was like in the blink of an eye and you're like, it's over. Damn. I loved it. Yeah. I, I thought it was great. I, wow. went, I went four and a half on this. Wow. I was a uh, four and a quarter. Uh, but uh, I was four and a quarter, but then I thought, "Fuck it, four and a half. <laughs> it's in the dome. <laughs> throw, throw a little quarter on it. Just you know, a little, uh, give it a little taste." <laughs> but uh, uh, I'll tell you this much: 
I've heard a lot of people talk, like do other podcasts and um, they might have more professional takes than us. They might have worse takes than us, but no one else is enjoying talking about right. <laughs> Tokyo <laughs> Dome as much as we are. Having a good old, good old time here in the dojo. Uh, oh but yeah, so yeah, Archer continues to deliver. Moxley delivers once again. Um, I, I love John Moxley in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, Post match, Mox uh, gets a mic and cuts a promo. He says he came to Tokyo to leave with nothing or everything, and he will settle things with Juice once and for all tomorrow night. So, with this win here, John Moxley does advance on to night two of Tokyo Dome to face Juice Robinson for the IWGP. United States Championship just like we predicted So then we move on to the next matchup here For the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship The aerial assassin Will Ospreay Defends against the ticking time bomb Hiromu Takahashi Alright, so the real question here needs to be asked And I think it's what everyone wants to wonder Or wants to know who had the better entrance attire? I don't know, dude. <laughs> I I think I I think Osprey. Nope, yeah. nope, nope. Hiromu Takahashi's crazy peacock peacock flamboyant feather feather outfit was like straight fire. Yeah, that was that that. It, it, I don't know. It was Hiromu style, definitely, but. I don't know. I was digging Osprey with that that white tiger on his shoulder and that his gear. Looked raw. Bro, this match. I don't have words. This match was incredible. Freaking phenomenal. Magnificent. Every single aspect of this match was incredible. The entrances were awesome. The pre, like before the match, like the announcements and everything. The the VTR. Bro, the VTR was awesome. Then the match and then. And then everything, every everything about this package was what you want out of professional wrestling. Um, this was just so great. Like, I don't know. You talk about it, bro, because I'm 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 like almost at a loss for words. Yeah. So this match, like, dude, obviously as we're going, it's, it was phenomenal. Like we kind of um, mentioned last week, Osprey was kind of coming into this match very confident, very cocky. Um, he was definitely the black hat in this match. He was the aggressor. Um, didn't really care if he got booze. He was kind of, you know, being the more aggressive one out of the two here, kind of working that aggressive heel role. Um, kind of similar to the amazing red match where um, he was kind of working a heel role, role there as well. Um, obviously, he was working over Hiromu's neck for a majority of the match. Obviously, Hiromu coming back from a broken neck. He worked the, the neck. Hiromu also kind of worked the neck as well because Osprey yes. has his history of neck injuries as well. You know, we, we noticed that throughout the match. I would like at one point when he started targeting the neck, I was like, you know, that's not a bad like way to go. If you think about Osprey, he's not one who is without his own share of neck issues. You know, you think about the the uh, a couple years ago at uh, Sakura Genesis, the match with Marty Skrull where he like almost killed himself. With that botched uh, Spanish fly in the apron. Mm-hmm. And he's had issues since then. We see him taped up. We see him with cut marks on his uh, back all the time. So, I mean, that's not. And then, you know, spoiler alert, Hiromu 
debuted a new finish. And once you start, you know, um, noticing how he was attacking Will Ospreay's neck throughout the match, it kind of makes sense why. Why? Psychology. Yes. <laughs> He's um, out here reading the book that Kenny had. Yeah, Kenny left the book out. Kenny bro. left the book for him. He's cheating. <laughs> uh, then there was the awesome sequence that's been gift a thousand times. Bro, I, I want to just, like, I've, every single podcast I listen to has called it the sequence, but no one has, like, called it the quote-unquote sequence. That's what it was, bro. Like, it's this moment in time. We need to just, like, quote it as that. The sequence. Whenever we, like, like uh, allude to what happened in this match, like, it was this incredible thing. It was called The Sequence. Right. And this The the Sequence has been gift over and over again. It's um, Osprey goes for the, uh, space, the Space Flying Tiger Drop. I actually think it was like a Sasuke special. Right. Isn't that, aren't those the same thing? Are they the same? I don't know. I, I thought they were. They're similar. Like, I think the difference is like the, the way that the they cart, go. The cartwheel into it. That well, I don't know if it's that. I think the way they go over the top rope is slightly different. Ver- like, like one's a backflip and one is like a a twisting kind, a of twisting kind gotcha. of thing. And they're like a little different, but they're kind of very similar. Okay, so he goes for the Sasuke special. Um, Hiromu moves out of the way. He lands on the feet on his feet. That he like Hiromu like throws him back in. He bounces. No, back. no, no. He does a go around. Right, and he does a he does a German suplex backwards onto the ramp, and Will Osprey lands on his feet. Will Ospreay, like, runs at him. He throws Will Ospreay back towards the ring. Right. And Will Ospreay jumps through the ropes. He, like, dived through the ropes, goes back, hits the ropes, and then lands the Sasuke special. With another Sasuke special and hits it the second time. And it's like, what the, like, what is going on? Yeah, dude, that was wild. I heard, I don't know, it's not substantiated, but I heard that uh, Will Ospreay might have broke his heel on that move. I did hear that as well, yeah. Yeah, that's Uh, crazy. You know, he really he's really stepping into Kenny's shoes, working awesome matches with ankle injuries. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah. And then uh, Hiromu's nose got busted open by the Kawada kicks. Yeah, and you know the crazy thing. Okay, Hiromu came out. Um, you know, last month when he made his return, and he said, "I'm gonna be the same. I'm gonna be crazy, yada yada." And we saw him act like work really fast and do some like a lot of the same stuff he's always done in not only during the road to Tokyo Dome, but also in this match. But I do want to say this. He was generally safe. Right. He there was no real spots where he landed on his head. Um, He didn't really do any like crazy dives where he missed, you know, kind of thing. I mean, I mean, of course, wrestling's not. Safe, quote. right? You know, it's you're always putting your body at risk, and you're always taking chances. And they definitely did some very nuanced, high octane, fast paced, high risk type of uh, wrestling for sure. But he wasn't doing the stuff he was. He wasn't doing the extra stuff that you were cringing about before he got injured, like. That that one drop that he does um, off the top rope, the senton, the senton to the outside. He didn't do that at all. Right, he did it from the apron, right? He did a version of it. Yeah, right. it wasn't he, it wasn't quite the same. Yeah, and he wasn't like taking a lot of like neck bumps and things like that. Which right, I think these are good things. I'm not complaining whatsoever. What I'm saying, the reason I'm saying this is because this might be the best match of his career or one of them. Um, it's definitely in the top like five for sure. And he didn't have to do all that stuff, and he was just as dynamic, just as charismatic, just as compelling. Like, this match 
blew me away. Him and Will Ospreay have, they've had at least two or three major matches that we've watched in the past where we've reviewed them and I've been like, really good, four and three quarters, four and a half, you know. Bro, this match beats all of those matches, not just because of where it was set, not just because of the moment and the the significance of of Takahashi's return and Osprey's dominance being ended, but just because it was better. Yeah. It was literally just better than all those other matches, period. Five stars. Yes. I went the full five on this as well. Just so many great moves, destroyers. Uh, Osprey hits a Made in Japan, uh, which is, um, you know, Shingo's secondary finisher, throwing some shade there. I'm going to beat you with your boy's finish. <laughs> uh, yeah, just so much great stuff. Um, they did protect Will Ospreay's Stormbreaker. He did not hit the Stormbreaker. Bro, Stormbreaker, if, if he hits Stormbreaker, you it's, lose. It's done. It's a done deal. Yeah. Uh, Hiro- it's like the Outsider's Edge. Yeah, he re- reversed the, the Stormbreaker into a Code Red for a great near fall. Um, then he the time bomb won and got a, another great near fall. I didn't think it was he didn't hit the time bomb right. He hit time bomb one. I thought it was the dynamite plunge. He did hit dynamite plunge and then he followed that up with the time bomb. Oh, and will kicked out. And will kicked okay, out. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he hit the what he's calling the time bomb two, which is a, like an emerald flosion type maneuver. It's something crazier than that. It's so it's similar. You're correct. Right. It, I, I don't know. That's the only way I can know how to really. Well, he was teasing on social media right. that he had something special planned for the Dome. I just thought it was a new cat. <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't come out with Daryl. No, no, he didn't. And, but uh, like, Osprey didn't bring uh, Percy. Every time he's ever like been like, I've got something special announced, my happy day, you know, the clock t- is counting down. It's always some fucking cat. <laughs> Or a, bu- a book. <laughs> it's always a book or a cat. So, like, I'm like a lot of people are like, I think he's going to debut a new move at the Dome. And th- all those people are right, but because I've been conditioned to, like, expect what I've been conditioned to expect from him, I'm like, it's going to be some pink fucking cat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> some new but, cat from him, but it wasn't. It was this devastating new finisher. Um, and I've heard some people criticize uh, this debut a little bit. Really? Why? I think that there's some pro um, purists out there who kind of like when you look at the history of all Japan, you look at like the four pillars and how each of them kind of had to develop super finishers. They did it through a long, nuanced storytelling uh, method where like they were work, they were like going through these long, multi-year match like storylines with one another where like. You know, they had to develop a new finish because the old finish couldn't best the other guy. And so it took a long time to build to the moment when they finally debuted their new finisher. And some people didn't like the idea that he just busted it out on this, you know, on this day against Osprey. But to everyone who thinks that, I'm not going to be disrespectful and say, like, fuck you or anything like that. But I think... You guys are being a little, like, old-fashioned. I right. think this was fine. I, in fact, I think it fit the story. Right. If you want to argue there, like, Hiromu's been gone for a year. He's He saw the year that Osprey had. He saw that Shingo. That, right. That Shingo couldn't beat him. Shingo, like, Shingo hit him with the Maiden Japan and the Last of the Dragon and couldn't put this dude away. So, clearly, like, 
if Shingo couldn't put him away with that stuff, like my time bomb one is not going to work. I need something new. Yeah, I like the idea that while he was away, he was working on something special. Now, I will say this. That move is devastating, and not just in a kayfabe sense. It is literally a physically demanding match. I don't want Hiromu. I could see Hiromu, like, hypothetically, it's a popular move. Hiromu's crazy. They could create like a new finisher out of it and have that be his new finisher. But I don't want to, I don't want to see him dropping every single dude that he beats for the next year or two on their dome like that. That's a bad, bad move <laughs> to take. Yeah. I think it should be relegated to being like a the super finisher, the super finisher, similar to like a super, you know, off the top rope version of s- certain guys finishers right. or like, a, uh, um, what's the move I'm always like, the burning hammer, like like a burning hammer type move, or like a a, a Gonzo bomb, something like right. that. Like you only break it out for super matches. I think that's what this needs to be. And if it is, I'm happy that the place he did it was the dome against Will Ospreay for the junior title in his return match. Like it's poetic. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. And that match, that move is so devastating looking that when he landed it, everyone in the dome knew immediately the match. That Everyone knew it was, it was, it was over. over. Yeah, so it was done. He's he not fucking getting got up. the win. New champion in the post match uh, presser. It was hilarious, and that's where he re- revealed the name. He was like, first he walked in there. He was like, uh, "Clap for me, clap for me," <laughs> and then like he's like, "Ask me questions or I will leave." And the reporter was like, "What was the name of that new move?" He pauses. Time bomb two. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that's was pretty awesome. funny. So yeah, so then we move on. And, and just so everyone knows, we can't overstate, this is a match of the year contender already. Right, it's on match of the year, junior match of the year, locked in. Shh, fuck. <laughs> so we go to the semi-main event. We have the uh, IWGP Intercontinental Champion, the Switchblade, Jay White, accompanied by Gato, defending the title against Tetsuya Naito. I don't know why Tetsuyo, Tetsuya Naito's in this match. He don't. He doesn't bring anything to the table, but he's here. He made it in. Uh, oh, I remember why. He beat Tai Chi. Right, at a power yeah. struggle. He beat Tai Chi. That's his, that's his accolade. That's, 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 a, that's a big, you know, <laughs> you, you beat Tai Chi. That, that propels you. Things happen for you in this sport. <laughs> but uh, this is a singles match for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, the first leg of the double gold dash. Yeah. Uh boy. Um <laughs> Here's the thing. Also, I, I, I just want you guys to know I'm just being funny. I'm sure there's some Naito fanboys that are pissed about what I just said. And they're like, oh, well, well, does he not fucking get? <laughs> well, the funny thing, so we watched night one over at Zach Porter, front of the show. You've heard Zach on on this podcast before in a previous episode. So we were over at uh, Zach Porter's house. He had the uh, Los Ingobernables uh, flag up in the living room. Yes, Naito shirt on. You know, he had one of the, he had one of the fucking cats somewhere in the yeah, room. Yeah, yeah, he had uh, one of the cats up too. And what did I do? You wore I, the switchblade. shirt? I showed up in a Jay White <laughs> switchblade shirt in this man's in this man's house. I was embarrassed for you. I was like, you know, this man's losing. Why the fuck are you wearing this shirt? Because I was just I was more to troll. <laughs> 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 oh, but uh, it's not really like you. You're usually the baby face. I know, but I was like, here's the thing. I like Jay White. You should have worn your. You have an Lij shirt. I do. You should have worn that shit. Nah, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I had a troll. Uh, get a little bit of heat. 
but yeah, here's the thing. So this match, honestly, going into this match, I did not have high expectations for this match. Me either. Based off what we saw in the G1, based off what we saw, what was that, King of Pro Wrestling? Mm-hmm. Like, these guys, there are just certain guys that don't have great chemistry, and they don't have good matches. You can look through any promotion, any rivalry, any match. You'll find two guys, when you put them in there together, they could be two great guys and have great matches with other people. When you put them together, they just don't have great matches together. And that's Jay White and Naito. Right. And, you know, I'll say this. I don't think they have great matches together. They have good matches together. You, I don't think anyone objectively could say that any of the Naito Jay White matches are not good. Right. They're good. But you could, as a fan, say, I don't enjoy their matches because there have been a lot of negative elements to the types of matches that they've had. Um, and I don't know if it's just because of its quote-unquote storytelling or if it's um, smoke and mirrors to hide the fact that they don't have good chemistry together because that that seems to be a big part of it for me. Right, and also, too, I think just match length also, especially here, this match went 33 minutes and 45 seconds. Yes. Um, so I'll say this. Um, I didn't have high expectations going into this either. But I did think I was like, it's the Dome. They've had two kind of lackluster matches in the past. They need to get JY over. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Naito over. Um, I did expect Naito to win, obviously, and we were correct in that because that's what made the most sense, and that's the chalk line, you know, um, booking decision. That's where they ended up going, which is the perfect thing to do. But that also causes you to kind of have some uh, concerns about, like, you know, they've got the big four in this tournament. They've got to kind of protect certain guys. They don't want to bury anyone, make them look too weak. So. You, with Jay White's character and his character work, you might see some shenanigans, which we definitely did. So I was thinking, I was like, we'll probably see like a four-star fair. Yeah. And I think that's about, well, I wouldn't go that high. Dude, I, I'm like three and... I think I'm like three and a half. I could go three and a half. I would probably say three and three quarters just to kind of be fair, but maybe three and a half. I don't know. I wouldn't split hairs on it one way or the other. The The, the match was... Fine. It was just really slow. Jay White did a lot of his stuff. Right. And I did a lot of his I, stuff. I understand them starting slow. You just had that match of the year, five star match right in front of you. Oh, I felt, and I want to talk to you about that when we get done with this. I had questions about the match order from the get go. Right. Like, everybody knew that Osprey and Hiromu was going to be a candidate for match of the night and match of the weekend. Yeah. Like, like I was mentioning, Osprey was only on the Dome one night. He's going to go out there. He's going to make sure he has a five-star match, and that's what he did. And these guys had to follow that match. So they definitely had to change the pace and allow the crowd to settle down and then pick back up. But the problem is they went, they, they went too slow. They dragged it out too long. I think the problem isn't that. It's that they... Like we mentioned, I literally think these are two fantastic wrestlers who don't have good chemistry with one another and who didn't have the capacity together to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at Wrestle Kingdom from a couple of years ago when it was Tanahashi and Naito for the IC title and they had to follow, I don't remember what, it, oh, no, I'm sorry. Naito and Tanahashi killed it, and then after that it was Okada 
and uh, Omega. And yeah, no, Kata Omega had to kind of like follow Naito and Tanahashi. I just don't think Naito and Jay White have the capacity to work the same kind of style match. Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And there's some people who are probably saying you're wrong. But guess what? Three strikes and you're out. This is the third time that they have kind of shit the bed. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, it sounds funny because we're talking about matches that are good, that are really good. Right. Some people probably enjoy, especially fans of Naito or fans of Jay White or who are, if there's a crossover, who are fans of both. But for the general fan who's accustomed to a certain level of performance, especially on Tokyo Dome shows, this didn't really cut it. And I think a lot of what brought it down for me was the Jay White shenanigans, the character work. It was almost like we saw Jay White reverting to the 2018 version of himself from the to- from uh, like the G1 climax, the the, the one that we were kind of like, I don't know, this right. guy's gonna need to show us something. Right, this and, was not a great match. Right, you know, we've come on the show and we have defended Jay White in the past. We we both think Jay White's a great wrestler. Um, not even just defended him; we've advocated for him because he's had great matches. Right, and I think he's a, a great professional wrestler. And I think he's very great at what he does. But there is a point where the shenanigans can add to the match. And there's a point where shenanigans can take away from the match. And I think this is one of the matches where the shenanigans took away from the match. There wasn't great chemistry. It went too long. Like if you, Honestly, like if you cut this match in half, I think it would have the potential to be better than what it was. Um, do you think that it's possible that a lot of this has to do with, um, like, Gato's booking? What do you mean? Like Gato has concerns about Naito um, looking too strong or not enough like a babyface or maybe Jay White not looking too, like maybe that there's some internal sort of politics in play. Like he's trying to protect both guys. So maybe it was not that they weren't compatible, but just the way that it was laid out for them sort of thing. Maybe. Like like an agent almost. Yeah, but I don't know. We the previous two matches, correct? Yeah, so I don't but, know. But here's the thing too: those previous two matches clearly were building to this match, right? Maybe it's all been kind of been like this: the story we're telling. You guys go out there and tell the story. Here's your job. You know what I mean? Right. That is a real possibility. That is, it totally is, and and maybe the idea is. Let's get heat on Jay White. Let's get sympathy on Naito. That's your job. Right. It's Your job's not to go out there and put and entertain them. Your job right. is to don't, propel the storyline. Your job is not to have a five-star match. Your job is to get heat on Naito and get sympathy on him and then eventually get him over. My only thing is it got a little long in the tooth. It's been three matches. A lot of what is great about New Japan is the entertainment of the in-ring style. And this is classic old-school booking to a certain degree, but it's also like now I'm kind of getting sour on Jay White because now he's kind of doing a lot of the stuff he did two years ago that I didn't really love. (laughs) Right, because they've kind of gone away. Like, they started doing the cheating thing, and then they kind of started implementing, oh, Jay is like a really great counter wrestler. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's going to cheat, but ultimately it's his countering is what allows him to win and be better than his opponents. And we kind of saw that, um, you know, pretty much majority of last year, a lot of his matches, yeah. he had a lot of those great counter finishers. 
And then here, they, they've kind of dropped, like you mentioned, they kind of dropped that. They've kind of gone back to the, uh, he has to, you know, low blow, ref bump, Gato, chair, like all these things instead of just letting him cheat a little bit, but then have his counter wrestling be the thing that kind of gets him over. Yeah, and so Jay White was kind of just getting heat on him with, with a lot of the shenanigans. It was just a little too much for my taste. Ultimately, though, they got to where they needed to go, night to one. We did go into this, and I'd said many times on the show, of all the matches for all the nights, this is going to be the lowest performing during the double gold dash based historically off what we've seen, and that was true. So I didn't. neither of us were really disappointed. We're, we're kind of just expressing our disappointment now in the air, but leaving the show, we were kind of both just like resigned to the fact that this is just how it is with Naito and Jay White. Right, yeah. Like, honestly, I, yeah, I went in, I was like, I'm not like, dude. If they over deliver, awesome. But awesome. I, I'm not expecting anything blow away. It's gonna be. It is what it is. Like I'll say this though, this show was really good. Like really, like honestly, from top to bottom. If you think about how good the show was, like you've got the the Liger uh, finale, which was great. The two eight man tags, yes, they they didn't need to be there, but they were fine for what they were. They were very solid. And then you you had like a a title change in the tag team match. You had the fantastic uh, um, Texas Death match, and then a match of the year candidate in Hiromu and Will Osprey. And we knew Okada and Naito was going to be blow, or oh, Okada and Ibushi is going to be blow away. But when Naito and Jay White ended, we were sitting there with with uh, Rich, and he's like, "My God, <laughs> he's like this man Jay White out here ruining the dome." He's like. We need Okada and Ibushi to save this show. And I was like, bro, save this show. It's one of the best shows of, of the entire year. I was like, and even this match, which I didn't love. It's not my cup of tea. It's still like, it, and, and in the semi-main event, it is egregious. It shouldn't be three and a half, three and three quarters. Given given the level of guys that were here, should have been better. Mm-hmm. But I was like, it's still one of the best shows of the entire year. Like, And he was like, the show is dead. <laughs> Jay White, bag him up. It's over. <laughs> but I will tell you, I'm starting to get to that point with Jay White myself a little bit. I- I'm just like, I'm just getting a little like, eh. yeah. I don't know, man. But you know what? Ultimately, we got to where we need to go. Naito overcame Jay White. Why don't you take us to- through the end of this match real quick? Because we've been talking about it a lot. Yeah, so uh, towards the end of the match here, we had a ref bump. Uh, Naito hits a low blow on Gato, who tries to come in, but then Jay low blows Naito. Uh, but Naito counters into a dragon suplex. Um, Naito, um, a low blow to, um, by Gato again. A chair shot by Jay on a Naito. And then hits with a sleeper suplex, but there's no ref to count the fall. Naito fights out of the Blade Runner. Jay uh, hits him with the sleeper suplex. Then Naito comes back, hits the uh, running Destino. Both are down. Going to counters. Naito hits a poison rana Destino for a near fall. Um, Jay then counters another Destino. Tries to the Blade Runner, but Naito counters into that um, that snowplow brainbuster. Northern Lights Bomb. Yeah, Northern Lights Bomb. And it hits the Destino. One, two, three, and gets the win. And we have a new Intercontinental Champion. I did hear Dave Meltzer say on his uh, show, he's like, yeah, he busts out the Northern Lights driver, Northern Lights bomb. He doesn't usually do that. And I was like, Dave, I've been seeing this man hit this Northern Lights bomb right. all year long. Right. It's, it's kind of like one of his major signature moves. moves. It's one yeah. of his signature moves now. Right. But uh, 
Great. Yeah, I, I thought the finishing segment was pretty good. Yeah. So then the main event, we have the Golden Star, Kota Ibushi, the G1 Climax winner 2019, challenging for the IWGP title against the Rainmaker, Kazushika Okada. Yeah, and just fantastic main event. Everything about this, the VTR, the entrances, the sequence, the storytelling, the match was all fantastic. Uh, we have um, Akata's gear. Dude. Both, bo- both of these guys had fantastic gear. Both of these guys had really incredible entrances. I really liked the glitter for the Kotobushi sort of entrance that dropped from the sky. That was cool. Right. And it, his music was a little bit remixed also. Yeah. And Okada's was too. Yeah. Um, but Okada's entrance with the screen... And the, and the rain falling and on the rain him. falling and the and the uh he had a fucking umbrella and he's the rainmaker and then he came out with the white like robe and it was glow in the dark and it was translucent and, like it was awesome. Yeah, it was dope. It was like one of the best dome entrances of all time. Like I put it up there. It's it's not quite Nakamura with the crown and everything, but it's close. But yeah, it was high. Like we don't I feel like in wrestling in general, we really don't see a lot of, like, really big, like, super cool entrances anymore. Well, Cody every week on Dynamite. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Floyd. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, yeah. uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, Okada comes out here, this big grand entrance, the video wall in the rain, this white gear. It looks like it's, like, glowing in the dark. It was so cool. Uh, And there's a pattern and design. It was awesome. Um, and then uh, you know he takes the uh, the uh, his gear off and he has these new like sparkly secret like shiny metallic shout out trunks. to uh, to Kevin Dunn he must have been running the video production this night because they missed him taking off the robe it's like his famous spot I don't know how right. they missed that shit yeah the uh, the uh, short pants pop yeah but you know normally he wears what we call trunks and. Most people call trunks like the, uh, or, or I'm sorry, shorts. He usually wears like the shorts. Trunks are usually more like the shorter. It's the Stone Cold. Stone Cold. Triple H Randy Orton. He was wearing legit trunks. For the first time, I think, since he was a young lion, have I ever seen him wear trunks like this. But they were like Rainmaker trunks. Right. And they it were was awesome. awesome. I think it was one of those things where like last, you know, he's like, I want to try something new. I'm gonna do the pants, and he got so much heat oh, for the God, pants. He's like, hated the pants. I want to do something new, so I can't do pants. I guess I'll just go shorter then and go trunks. <laughs> Bro, the trunks. These trunks were awesome. Plus, he had like the knee pads with uh, the boots, the high rise boots that went all Fuck the way up the to knee. the Yeah, yeah. He looked like fucking Lex Luger. He's dope. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yeah, both guys. Yeah, Nabushi's gear. Yeah, looked raw. Nabushi well. always has raw gear. Like they're always derivatives of what he always like his same color scheme. So people kind of sleep on them, but like Abushi always has like some of the raw gear in the game. Period. But um, the fans were really into this match, like really into it, and um, I was glad for Abushi to be in this spot finally against the Rainmaker. Main event January fourth Tokyo Dome, and um, you know I'm gonna let you get into it here in a moment, Jeremy. But I want to say this: I said last week on the preview. If any match has a chance to steal the show, it'll probably be Takahashi and Osprey. But if any match is probably going to be the match of the weekend, 
and maybe the match of the year. It's going to be Okada and Ibushi on January 4th in the Tokyo Dome, and I think I was right. Yeah, dude, these guys went out here absolutely freaking killed it, man. This match um, went 39 minutes, but unlike the Jay White and Naito match, this match um, had a great pace. It didn't never at no point during this match that it felt like it was going too slow or that it was dragging. Um, it was really, really violent. It was uh, brutal. There was a um, great story um, just being told between both gentlemen. Um, Okada busting out some of his old uh, signature maneuvers. He uh, brought back the the red ink submission. He brought back the uh, the heavy rain, which is like that elevated uh, attitude adjustment. Uh, yeah, just just really great stuff here. Yeah, I was surprised he didn't break out the Red Bank. What? What's the Red Bank? It's sort of like his old STF uh, style. Uh, Wasn't that the Red Ink? What he did? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Red Ink. He, he, what, he did do the Red Ink. He did do Red Ink. Yeah. Oh god, I totally messed up all these uh, finisher names. <laughs> no, he did the um, the Heavy Rain. He, yeah, he did both of them. And he did Red Ink too. Yeah. My God, I'm, <laughs> what the fuck's wrong? <laughs> Um, man, you know, okay, so here's the thing. We went almost 40 minutes with this match. One of the longer Okada matches that we've gotten in a very long time. Um, there was some, there were some people who were criticizing this match for going too long. Uh, not because it was too long, but because, you know, we got to the 15 minute mark and they were like, nothing had really happened yet. It was just a standard building to the finishing climax, just like a lot of Okada's matches. But I got to tell you, I think there's an art to what Okada does. And I think that like, yes, if you compare his matches like against one another, you can find some similarities across the board, which is similar to any wrestler. You had, you could do the same thing with Osprey. Who's uh, a great example in modern times. You could do it with Bret Hart, Ric Flair, Lots of guys get comfortable doing certain things. Um, Okada has drawn out long matches. But I think that there is a psychology to the types of reactions that he gets in the latter half of his matches based off the first half. In many cases, you won't get that uh, that sort of visceral reaction from the fans and f- even yourself if not for that long, drawn-out build. And that's not to say that that stuff isn't important. Um, you know, I could see like where some people are like, well, there's not a clear cut psychological story being told, but they're wrestling. And not only are they wrestling, but Okada and Ibushi are doing some really, really good wrestling. I did think what when I was watching it, I was like, man, you know, they haven't really picked up yet. So we're not really at the point where I'd like them to be. And I'm wondering, and it started going a long time and Okada hasn't gone 40 minutes with anybody in quite a while. So I was like, man, you know, is this match going to be as good as I hoped it would be? But then once murder Coda came out, everything changed. And from that point on, it became one of the best matches of the year. I think easily this stands up to, any of the best matches that we saw in the last decade. Seriously. It was that good. Yeah, this yeah, it was yeah, dude. This match was just phenomenal. Uh, a masterpiece. 
Dude, I lost my mind when Okada kicked out at one after a Bomaye knee strike. I loved that. I loved that. There was also, um, I don't know, there was like a certain poeticness to that sort of aspect because Bushi had a connection to uh, Nakamura and, you know, he borrows the Bombaye. But people forget, like, Okada ran chaos with Nakamura. That was his boy. Right, yeah. That was his mentor, you know? Um, so I'm kind of like, yo, you're not going to... Like, when he kicked out at one, like, yes, Kota Ibushi was channeling Nakamura by using his move to try to put Okada away, but I almost feel like Okada was channeling Nakamura's fighting spirit and kicking out at one. He's like, fuck you. You're not going to beat me with my boy's best, like, my boy's move. Like, right. what do you think? You think I don't know about the Bombaye? Like, I train with this dude. I live with this dude. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, and then um, Abushi he hit another Bombaye and then followed up with the Kamagoye, which Okada still kicked out of both of those, and that was a crazy near fall also. There was something funny. I've noticed this a lot. When they started going into the striking segment where Kota Ibushi started no-selling everything that Okada was doing, and he started going into, like, what we what we kind of affectionately term the murder coda um, phase. And that's not something we came up with. That's just kind of widely regarded. Like if you're in the new Japan, like community, that's what you kind of call it. Right. We don't really know what it's called, but that's just what we call it. Dude, you can go back to like wrestle kingdom nine or even earlier and like draw on so many different matches where he's done that. But there every year wrestle kingdom draws new fans and eyes and audiences. So I hear so many people that are covering it. They're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. It was like a Hulk Hogan Hulk up, but way more understated and just so visceral and powerful. And I'm like, all right, you never watch New Japan. Like (laughs) anytime I hear people talking like that, I know that they don't like actually watch this product because we see it pretty often. Yeah. In big matches. You know what I mean? Like, of course it is saved for the big moments and he knows the right times to do it. But like those of us who know, we kind of know, you know what I mean? And so, but then I also feel like a podcast, like who knows what it is that they're, they're just like, all right, so we had the, the murder coda segment and then they move on. And there's obviously new listeners, people who are new to this, who don't know what it is. And like Kota Bushi has that next gear where like, he'll be going from like just being a regular competitor to like you trigger him and he gets triggered and right. suddenly like he's going to kill you for for the uh, the Dragon Ball Z fans out there yes. It's, yes. it's it's Goku like yes. Goku's Goku's all about you know having a nice fight let's train let's fight but then when you start messing with planet earth his family <laughs> this man turns super saiyan is there anybody like in wrestling that like more embodies like the spirit of like what Goku is than Kota Ibushi uh you could you could argue Tanahashi, I don't think so. But I, I think I think Abushi co- way more. Abushi hundred percent. Plus, like you know, I know like Goto or I'm I know like uh, Goku like had kids and stuff. But I don't know. He never really paid much attention to Chi Chi <laughs> and uh, Gohan and Goten. He wanted to show his boys. Like yeah, he let Piccolo do the race. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man, but Goku, yeah. where are your kids? They would pick a low. But back to this uh, classic match that we're right, <laughs> and then uh, some, a great piece of uh, storytelling here with Abushi 
missing oh, the Phoenix it. Splash, and we saw that with uh, Kenny Omega missing the Phoenix Splash against uh, John Moxley at Full Gear. So these guys building up their match and cross promotions. I think. <laughs> I think what was more telling was like, okay, so Abushi hit him with the Kamigoye, he hit him with the Bombayes, he hit him with the Last Ride. He tried every single major move that he has, and Okada kicked out. And at the very, very near end of the match, he tried a V-trigger. He did. He did hit the V-trigger. So And he uh, hit it. Right. Um, Okada um, hit him with rain ma- hit him with two Rainmakers, got a near fall. Then Okada pulls him up to hit him for another one, and he, that's where he hits the V-trigger. Yes. And on commentary, they called it a V-trigger. They called it that, yeah. I didn't hear it because we were all shouting so loud, but I, like later on I, I confirmed that they called it a V-trigger. Think about this. Kenny Omega is wrestling John Moxley in a major, like one a career defining match for him, and he's tried every move, every single thing he can try, and then he, at the as a last resort because he can't put Moxley away, he goes for a fucking Phoenix Splash as a last resort, and he misses and it fails and he loses. Conversely. Abushi in the most important match of his life in the Tokyo Dome against Okada. He's tried every single thing that he can try. And as a last resort, he thinks about Kenny and he channels a V trigger. He tries the V trigger. He lands it, but it's still not enough to beat this man. And he still loses. And it's bro. It's poetic. It's the same. It's the same thing on two different continents. These guys are still going into business for themselves. In two different companies that are not acknowledging the story. And for fans who know what's going on, like, we can see it very clearly. These guys are planning to do business with one another at some point, somewhere down the line. For sure. Yeah. And then after that B-trigger, Okada kills him with a sit-out tombstone. Pretty much also, pretty much an ape shit, uh, pretty much. It pretty much was, and it was awesome. Yeah, and then one more Rainmaker, one, two, three... Okada retains, and we have another match of the year candidate. Okada had hit him with what four rainmakers? I guess. Yeah, I think it was like yeah, four or five. So, yeah, I, I mean, it depends on if you count like the spin out rainmakers and and the the short arm clothesline versions versus the full rainmaker. The full spin out, yeah, bro. This match was just so 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 incredible. I was I was chatting with my girlfriend, and she was like. Yeah, I think that's the greatest match I've ever seen in my life. And then I just told her, I was like, it is. Because <laughs> I know the matches she's seen, and I know she hasn't seen. <laughs> I know matches that exist that are better that she has not seen. I was like, nope, that's the best match you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, it was incredible, bro. Yeah, dude, this was every, there, everything I wanted and more. There's people who, are who like, will listen to us, think we're hyperbolic, we're fanboys and stuff. But, like, you know, we watch everything when it comes to New Japan. And, like, this, bro, to me... This is every bit as good as Osprey Shingo, every bit as good as Tanahashi and and, uh, and Omega last year, and every bit as good as the G1 final last year. Like, right, and then if if you want to go, you know, cross promotion, this was this was as good or better than Walter Tyler Bate, Gargano and Cole, um, you know, Pack and KZ, Kento Miyahara matches. Like this, it's gonna the, be hard to beat. Yeah, like at the beginning of the year, January. We got a lot. It's just like Kenny and Tanahashi from last year. It's it's locked in. It's every year though. Like this company consistently every single year. That's what makes Wrestle Kingdom, bro. You don't get that with WrestleMania. You might get some really good matches every once in a while with WrestleMania, but every year at Wrestle Kingdom, you get 
one or two match of the year contenders and it's consistent, you know, whether it's Omega and Okada, Tanahashi and Okada, <laughs> you know, AJ Styles and, and Nakamura, Nakamura and Ibushi, you know, this match, Tanahashi and Omega, like it's every year you get something and this, this blew me away, bro. Yeah. And I, I like we left this show and my blood was pumping and like my I was like this was so great. I know that there weren't as many singles matches and high points as the second show and I know some people might top to bottom from a star ratings perspective like the second show better, but I think the first show's better. Yeah, what I'll say is I I think yeah, the, the second show from a consistency wise across the board um if you if you average up your star ratings the, the second night, from a star rating-wise, consistency-wise, is probably the better show. But night one had the um, higher had the higher peaks. And there was nothing really besides maybe the main event on night two that reached the level of, uh, those two, of that Hiromu Osprey and Okada um, Ibushi match. Yep. And so after the match, we had um, Naito arrives post match. Um, says, "Do you, you know? Do you remember what you said to me two years ago?" Um, and you know, says, "Tomorrow's his chance to beat Okada and walk away with both championships." And then Okada thanks Ibushi for the fight of his life and thanks the fans um, and says he'll uh, he'll win tomorrow on night two. All right, so let's get to night two. Um, let's go there as quick as possible. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're night two of the Tokyo Dome. We open up with the Never Open Weight Trios Gauntlet match with the champions uh, Risuke Taguchi, Togi Makabe, and Toriyano defending against Ishii, Yoshihashi, Robbie Eagles, Evil Shingo and Bushi, Taichi Desperado, Kanamaru, and Bad Luck Fale, Yujiro Takahashi, and Chase Owens, um, you know, I thought this uh, was a solid match for what it was. Um, you know, they had they kept the action pretty quick with some quick um, eliminations. Uh, there was um, the 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 New Japan of America ref was in there, and dude, he was calling it as a shoot man. You see that? Yeah, I did see it. <laughs> um, I mean, but he messed up. Yeah, he did. Um, so let's talk about these eliminations first. So, um, so there was chaos. They eliminated uh, Bullet Club at first. Uh, Ishii hit a brain buster for uh, elimination there at uh, three minutes forty seconds. Then Suzuki Goon came into the match, and then uh, Robbie Eagles cradled up Kanemaru for an elimination at eight thirty-five, and that's when we get uh, Los Ingobernables de Japón coming in. And this is where we had the mess up from um, the New Japan of America ref. Um, so evil hits the darkness falls, and clearly Ishi was supposed to kick out or did kick out. Or He's what. not going to get pinned with the darkness falls. Right. Period. It's a secondary move, and Ishi kicked out. What the ref was like? Nah, it was three. No. So the ref fucked up the the count and they thought it was a three i think he only counted two to be honest but he hesitated and and stayed down too long and then they rang the bell and then he was like giving them the two signal and he was saying no and then they were like we're not changing it like because i think because of time i thought he was saying it's it it was three may well okay (laughs) 
I do want to say this <laughs> before we, before we continue. I watched this not live like Jeremy. I watched this on the English feed the next day, and it was all sorts of fucked up. Yeah, dude. so it could have easily been three where I was seeing him do two. I thought he was trying to tell them it was two, and they were like, "Shut up, American young boy." Ref, it's three. We're gonna keep going, but yeah, it, it seemed like nobody really knew it was going yeah, to on. To me, it's not like he was saying three because even on commentary, they're like, "Oh no, he, he's saying it's he's saying it's three. I heard them saying that, but I saw his finger saying two and his head shaking. No, that's my take. I could be wrong. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I did. Either uh, way, it was weird. Stay up to uh, watch this thing live, and believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, it was the first time I've ever watched a Japanese New Japan show live. So I know. A lot of people are shocked by that fact. You know, it's pulling the curtains back. A lot of times, uh, just because of work schedule and other stuff, other commitments, I usually watch the shows the next day, in the morning, in the afternoon, um, avoid spoilers and do all that stuff. But this one was starting at midnight. I was like, you know what? Screw it. We'll do it live. Got some caffeine loaded up and watch this thing live. Proud of you, bro. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, so yeah, so we had that botch there where uh, so he he's supposed to kick out the darkness fall. So Ref calls it at three, but you notice evil still hit him with the everything is evil afterwards. afterwards yeah, he was about to probably anyways. Right. Yeah. Either way, chaos was, Ishii was going to get Although, eliminated. Ishii was going to get the pit, take the pinfall. That sucks. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, I didn't watch this with Rich. I was wondering like what his reaction was. I thought about it too. I was like, I wonder what Rich's thinking right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so, yeah, so LIJ got chaos out of there, and then it came down to LIJ and the champions, most violent perverts. Um, got uh, some missed action by Bushi, which led into a pumping bomber by Shingo and a made in Japan. One, two, three. We have new never six man champs, Ishii, Shingo, or excuse me, Shingo, Evil, and Bushi. And the golden roll call. Is uh, closer and closer. Yeah, um, this was something we predicted. Uh, it just made all the sense in the world. Who's the biggest star from the best faction in this match? It was obviously Lij. It was obviously Shingo. He wasn't going to get a big moment on the you know in the dome on the main card. So it seemed like based on our thinking at the time, we're like, yeah, they're going to do the Lij roll call. Naito's obviously winning. And uh, it makes sense for Lij to win here. Didn't work out that way, but right. we uh, <laughs> we at least had the foresight to see that Shingo would pick up the win here. And um, the funny thing is, like most violent perverts had the longest reign with the six man gauntlet tag team titles of all time. I don't even know if they defended it more than once. I think they might have defended it like twice. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But um, yeah, great big title win and. Uh, <laughs> We go on to the uh, the main card here. Yeah, so we open up with the Liger retirement match two as the team of the actual Her- retirement match, right? As the team of Hiromu Takahashi and Ryu Lee take on the team of Jushin Thunder Liger and Naoki Sano. Ryu Lee um, came out to the ring wearing. Why the- did they have him come out? Well, he came out with the belt, but they had a they had it blackened over it like he was Ric Flair back in the nineties in WWF. You didn't see that? No, I saw the title. No, the title he came out with, they had, like, a black mark over it the whole time. Uh, what title is he holding? The Ring of Honor TV title. What? I did not see. I saw the ring, the normal Ring of Honor TV title. No, I'm, just um, me- I'm just messing with you. Uh, 
but they did they did not <laughs> they, they might as well have had a black mark on it because they did not acknowledge this title right. whatsoever. They did not make any mention of the Ring of Honor title. Also, Ryu Lee was wearing his uh Ingram the La Faction de Ingrobanables Ring of Honor what the fuck? jersey that says Dragon Lee on the back. I saw and, that. And so obviously I heard on the Japanese commentary they were, you know, saying that's not L.I.J. <laughs> that is completely different. That's, you know, that that's Roosh's thing. Like, he's did, not part did, of L.I.J. Did you watch it on the, uh, on the Japanese? No, country? I was watching English. But okay. I heard I heard somebody, because there was all kind of streaming issues that night. Somebody that ended up watching on Japanese, they were like, the Japanese commentary was like, yeah, that this is not Los Ingobernables de Japón. This is like something different. He's not, you know, part of L.I.J. Bro, we've... I mean, we talked about it the other the other day on the show. Uh, there's like literally five different companies with Los Ingobernables groups right now, currently, like, and no one knows what the fuck is going on. You know, right? What I mean? And and the fact that there's crossover with some of those companies and they're not acknowledging each other's like Ingobernables groups, like it's really. I mean, you've got Triple A. You got CMLL, you got Nation, you got Ring of Honor, and you've got New Japan. And they all have completely different rosters with completely different cannons. It's really weird right now. Yeah. Uh, also, there was uh, Fujiwara was there at ringside. He was a Liger's trainer. Um, so, yeah, I thought this was uh, really good. Um, you know, Liger's final match. Um, I didn't think it was really good. I thought compared to the uh, <clears throat> the the night before, I didn't enjoy it quite as much. Um, not just because of the nostalgia feels, but because I think Sano was probably a little bit banged <laughs> up from the night before. Yeah, um, and I think you couldn't hide as many of the deficiencies in a straight two on two tag man uh, match that you could with a multi man match. Um, Hiromu and Dragon and Ryu Lee did their best to, you know, have a good match with these guys, but they definitely had to work a lot slower, in my opinion, anyways. Yeah. I thought they did a great job just taking care of these guys. I thought they did a great job, but I didn't think at any point the crowd seemed to be super into it. I think that they popped really loud for the entrances and the standoffs, but when the match started... It was very. It was a somber affair, man. Yeah, it was somber, and I was sad watching it. Of course, like I was sad uh, just to um, kind of just know that it's Juice Thunder Liger's last match. Of course, I'm glad for like the fact that he's not gonna have to do this anymore and, and everything of that nature. But it was sad, man, and I think that uh, the crowd really had the same feeling when Liger. Finally, took the pinfall. It was pretty quiet, right? Even on night one, two, when he took the pinfall, because. The crowd, they wanted to see Liger win both of these matches, didn't win on night one, and did not win here. Hiromu Takahashi hits the time bomb one and uh, pins Liger, and the crowd just went super silent after that. Yeah, and they did here too as well. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's over. Uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, last match. Puts over the future generation on the way out. Yeah, and I mean, that's exactly what you would expect from someone of the ilk of uh, Jushin Thunder Liger. I mean, you know, his generation was taught, you know, you, you do the favor, you, you you do the honor, you go out on your back. That's exactly what he did here both nights. And um, 
you know, it was funny. I was kind of waiting for the like, I'm sorry, I love you moment. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> we didn't get exactly that, but um, Hiromu did uh, at the end of the match, like basically uh, Chris Charlton gave us the, uh, the translation. He said, you know, you built this division um, by yourself and I promise you I'm going to carry on your legacy and, and raise it to new heights basically. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah, and then after Liger got pinned, at this point, people who are watching live, New Japan World took completely took a crap. Both streams went down. I had a hard time getting back on. Some people got back on the Japanese stream. Neither stream was working for me. Um, shout out to Chris Samsa, uh, who's whoa, on whoa, whoa. who was on last week. Um, shot me a link. With uh, English stream Alternative means Alternative methods um, And I was able to Pick up and watch The rest of the show Just you should, fine You should hit me up I, should, I, I know a way to do it too I you, you, yeah, to, Well you're probably sleeping You can reach me anytime <laughs> You know that uh, But uh, <laughs> wait, but that little interruption Did cause me to miss The opening of this next match Of the IWGP Junior Tag Championship match with the champions, El Phantasmo and Taiji Ishimori defending against the Junior Tag League winners, Rapungi 3K. So I did miss the first few minutes, kind of came in midway towards the match. I mean, from what I saw, from where I saw to the end, I thought it was really good. Uh, but I never, I haven't, I've not gotten a chance to go back and watch this match from the beginning. Yeah, so um, this match was fine. Um I'm sure there's probably some people listening right now, like rolling their eyes already because they're like, oh, God, Josh, you know, uh, reviewing a, <laughs> a Phantasmo match. But, you know, I, I will say this even for everything I always kind of like complain about him. I think most of the deficiencies that I have complaints about are sort of hidden in a tag team match. And, he, you know, I actually pref- like prefer to see him and Ishimori as a tag team versus him as a singles I thought this match was fine. It did not blow me away. Um, They did do a lot of, like, really cool spots early on. Um, A lot of, you know, the high-flying sort of, like, technical stuff you'd expect from a Rapongi 3K and Bolt Club match. At the same time, they did do a prolonged sequence of the heel stuff. You know, these guys were doing a lot of back rakes. They were doing, like, in the early part of the match, like... They kept, like, uh, doing the quick tags and cutting off the ring, and they were keeping show in the ring, and they kept raking his back. I did see a Phantasmo did a moonsault back rate. <laughs> yeah, and, and they hilarious. built to it for a really long time, and it was fine if you're into that. I just was kind of like, uh, you know, whatever. But it didn't, like, it didn't bother me. It's just whatever. Um, ultimately, it was about, like, Yo was the kind of the guy to to get the, uh, you know, the, the hot tag. I was surprised. I didn't think they, they were going to get as much time as they did. They got almost 14 minutes. And the one thing I will say is I don't think they did enough with the time. Um, I think they had a fine match, but it wasn't a great match. This was another instance where it reminded me of, like, an undercard WrestleMania match where it was, like, it was built well, told a good story, it was enjoyable, but it didn't, like, stick out to me as being this great thing. Whereas, like, I remember some of those multi-man junior, like, four-ways and three-ways, like, being blow-away because they were just spectacle spot fest. Right. Or even, like, the uh, Rapungi 3K uh, Bullet Club match from a couple years ago. Was it, like, was that last year? 
No, two years ago. Overpunk K, 3K versus Young Bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Two years ago? Yeah. That was great. That was, that they had an awesome story with that match. They didn't really tell that story here. You know, this, um, this was kind of your standard junior tag, Rapunga 3K style match. It heated up towards the end. There was a lot of shenanigans. And then, um, the story here was kind of like, uh, you know, Phantasma has been punching people in the dick all year. And he yeah. tried to, he tried to do that to the, uh, to show, show yeah. And show had a cup on. Yeah, dude, I, I I did pop for that. I popped for that. <laughs> I liked that. Yeah. I thought it was I thought it was smart. I thought it was good. And then at the end, um, you know, Rapunga 3K hitting the uh they hit the the 3K, but then they hit a new finisher. Yeah, according to uh NJBW1972, they hit the Shock X, which is um the Shock Arrow and Yoda's a double stomp. Essentially, if you familiar with the Lucha Brothers, it's their finisher where Pentagon does the package Paul driver and Phoenix does a double stomp. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of like the Strong Zero as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Trent and uh, Chucky. And um, you know they they put away the Bull Club here. Finally, uh, you know, kind of got rid of all that frustration and uh, defeated these guys. Which it, it was a satisfying win. Here's a funny thing: I've listened to so many different podcasts and so many different audios who are like. I'm fucking tired of this. Rapungi 3K winning in the dome every year. <laughs> this is the first time they won. They've never won the belts in the dome. They're like every year they win the fucking tag league and then they go to the dome and they win. I've heard, bro, I've heard at least five different publications say that. Wow. Because it feels like it. Right. They have won the junior tag league three years in a row. And they've had the t- they've held the tag belts a lot. Right. But So it feels like they come here and they win every year. But the reality is they, they've never won they the belts them in the L's. dome. Yeah, they take a, a lot of L's. This was a big moment for them. Dude, I okay, I did not know this, but based on the uh, information that was provided in the, uh, the um, Voices of Wrestling New Japan book that you were a part of, do you know they've only had one successful tag title defense since they won the IWGP title ever? I did not realize that, but it makes sense. I did not know that. Because <laughs> <laughs> they always, like, they win the belt. And, and then they lose it. Right. And I think, too, it, it helps. There's usually, like, a two to three months in between their title reigns. So you think, oh, yeah, you know, they've held it for a while. They defended it. Nah. One successful title offense ever. So, um... I'm hoping that this leads to a like lengthy title run for them, but knowing them, knowing the way they book these guys, no. All right. Well, and we'll talk about their next challengers uh, in we'll, a little bit. Yeah, we'll get the dash. This is fine. I would have given this three and a quarter. Based on what I saw, I, I went three and a half on it. So, I mean, it wasn't better than that Liger tag. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we move on to the next matchup here. We have the Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship on the line as a champion. Zack Sabre Jr. defends against Sonata. And I really love this match. I, I lo- loved this match. I love Sabre and Sonata matches. I love Sabre and Sonata matches. Dude, this was a 10-minute, 45-second match. Essentially, this kind of reminded me of a... See, I've, I'm on a different publication. They've got 12 minutes, but I don't know. Okay, well, 10, 10 to 12 minutes. Um, I should probably be looking at uh, New Japan's site to get the official time. I'm on uh, Reddit. Uh, <laughs> or, I'm sorry, I'm on uh, Wikipedia. Mm. And here's the thing about Wikipedia. And anybody can put anything on Wikipedia, so you know you're getting the best information. Right, so it, so it's always right. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Michael Scott. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But anyway, 10 to 12 minutes, whatever it was, it, it reminded me of like a high-speed match in stardom, just bang, 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 counter after counter, hold after hold, high pace. Like, literally, this is a high-paced match from the, from the get-go. This is my favorite Zack Sabre Sonata match of all time. And I've loved every... Well, not loved, but I've liked to loved every single match they've ever had that I've ever seen. And... um they just really, really blow me away here. But this was like the culmination of the story they've been telling, and they did it so perfectly. Like, I was literally like just like marking out the entire time. Every year at Wrestle Kingdom, there's a match that I love more than most people. Like uh, a few years ago, it was like Abushi and Cody. I love that match too. I love that match, and a lot of people kind of sleep on that match. But like for me. Of both weekend shows, like, this is the match where, like, I've seen a lot of people be, like, really good, three and three quarters, four stars. I'm like, fuck, that's better than that. <laughs> but, no, I love this match. Um, I I just thought that it fit the story that they'd been building to. Um, you know, the idea that these two guys were able to match one another, hold for hold, move for move. And every single segment... So often we see guys do these same kind of segments that these guys do, but it feels like they're just rolling around. Right, yeah. Whereas this felt like there was a real, literal struggle happening to where they're trying to pin each other's shoulders to the mat for a three count. Right, and also, you know, it wasn't like you know, one of your, like, Zack Sabre matches where, like, he's, like, purposely slung it down and just putting you in a bunch of holes. Well, he uh, did, he did try to get some submissions for sure. He did, but it, just, it felt different though. It's not normal. Sometimes right. you know, I like Saber, and but sometimes he had those matches where it's like, oh my gosh, come on. Uh, but here, like, it just felt like a fight, and they were trying to finish each other. Dude, uh, it's funny how like terminology for like wrestling has changed over the years. But in the eighties, this would have been the ultimate spot fest. This mm. would have been seen as a spot fest because it's like these guys are doing nothing but spots, like you know. Like boom, 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 boom. This was this is way faster than like Steamboat Savage. Like this was crazy. Yeah, the pace that they wrestled at it was a neck break pace. Yeah, loved it, loved it, and um, I loved it too. At the end, you know, I thought they were gonna do a submission based off the VTR and the and the promos, but they ended up doing another uh, counter near fall, and it was uh, Saber who was able to hit the uh, the European clutch on Sonata one two three. Saber retains. Not only that, but it was like a roll up countered into a roll up, countered into a roll up, countered into a roll up before he finally was able to like catch him with it. So it's like every single time these guys wrestle, it always feels like either of them can pin each other at any moment, and that's exactly what happened here. Now I was disappointed because I Sonato, I was like, all right, Hiromu won, the rest of the boys won the, the six man gauntlet. Obviously, I think uh, Naito's winning. It, Sonata's the one last missing link, and it made a lot of like sense for to me why Sonata could hypothetically win, but he was the one I was the least sure about because I was like, still Zack Sabre. He's still one of the biggest stars in all of Europe. You know what I mean? Like He's still a big draw there. Right, yeah. He's still a protected commodity here, and he's taking a lot of L's over the calendar here that yeah. he didn't need to take. Right, like... I thought I just thought the Nautilus winning this the way they were pushing him this year and first big you know singles match in the dome, but when that's I, what I thought too. 
when I watched the VTR, it was talking. That of, made me nervous. It was like Sabus had a horrible 2019. Yeah, it just shows him like all these losing and like Boris Johnson, all the backstage stuff. And you were like, oh fuck, yeah, that's, bro, that's what I was. I'm like, like 2020's turning it up. Like he's about to win this he's match. About to, he's about to win the New Japan Cup again. again yep. <laughs> This man's about to win the G1 this year. Uh, but, yeah, as soon as I saw it, like. Bro, how funny it would be, like, friends over at One Nation Radio, Rich and James, they're, like, starting to a little bit come around on, like, Zack Sabre. Like, they don't love him, but they don't, like, criticize him like they did before. But this man wins the G1. Oh, my. We're going to get a, a Rich Latta rant. <laughs> oh, man. This man won the fucking G1. <laughs> yeah. But in the moment, I, I, even though like I saw the VTR, I, I, I was I, still happy with the match. I was still happy with the match, but I still was a little surprised to not a loss. And I was like, no golden roll call. That's what but I that, thought. But it was also a pretty brilliant because that puts a, uh, the plants a uh, seed of doubt in your mind. Like, oh, well, who was ahead of uh, of Naito all year long? Sonata. He's the one guy who was ahead of him from a uh, stature standpoint. And now, if you had to, like, in the matter of one night, like, argue, like, what's the, like... Pecking order? Pecking order. He's definitely not number two. Well, maybe he is again. We'll we'll talk about it a little bit. But, like, at least on that night, it kind of made it seem like he's not. You know what I mean? Right. So, maybe that, like, actually helps Naito's cause long term. But um, I think it's an interesting storytelling element. For yeah. sure. So uh, next up, we move to the IWGP U.S. Championship match as John Moxley defends against Juice Robinson. Uh, as we mentioned, obviously John Moxley defeated Lance Archer on night one to get in this match, and uh, Juice Robinson did nothing to uh, deserve this match. And um, honestly, I was uh, disappointed with this match. Uh, we saw the their first encounter at the best of the Super Junior Finals um, back in June, and I thought that match was awesome. Then we saw them again in the G1, and I thought that match was good. I didn't think it was as awesome as the um, as the best of Super Junior Finals match, but I was still expecting this match to probably be on the same level. As the as a G one match, but it did not get hit, hit that, and I was very disappointed with this matchup. Yeah, um, do we blame Juice? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know what it was like. I don't know if it was some of it was a crowd or just what they were doing. Like this, I don't know. Well, just, that was one thing that was reported. Like both nights when Juice came out. And and I hate to say this because we like Juice, but and this has happened not just this year, but last year when he was in the dome as well. And those were different circumstances. But from the reports I read and from what I've heard from people that were there, when Juice came out, people went to the bathroom, people went to the concession stands. So I don't know. Um, John Moxley cut a really incredible promo. When he went to the media section after night one, where he basically said Juice cost him the G1 and that that meant everything to him. And the only reason he didn't win the G1 is because of Juice and he was going to make Juice pay. The real question here is why was this happening if Juice wasn't going to win the U.S. title at all? 
Um, you sent out a tweet, which I had not seen, but I echoed your sentiments when I was by myself watching this. We both basically said, Juice looks like such a goof at this point and is so unbelievable as a challenger that I don't even want him to beat Mox. Yeah, I tweeted. I was like, yeah, Juice looks, looks like a goof. I want Mox to steamroll him was Bro, my, were my exact words. Okay, I said something almost verbatim to that, and I hadn't seen your tweet. Like, I was watching this with Megan. I was like, Juice looks like such a, like a loser at this point like or such a goof. Like, I don't want him to be the champion. He doesn't look like the champion, but I still expected him to win. But I was sitting there thinking, like, I don't know, New Japan. Like, what are y'all doing? Like, Juice, what are you doing? Like, I I literally believed wholeheartedly Juice was winning. And I was like, why isn't he... Why why doesn't he look prepared? You know what I mean? And then the match happened and he lost. And I was like, oh, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> but then that causes that causes a lot of questions to come to me. Why did they do this match at all if Juice was going to lose? They didn't need to do two matches with, with Mox in, in the Dome. They could have done just the, uh, they, like, night two, if they really wanted to beef up night two. They could have just done Mox versus Archer in the Texas death match. That would have been fine. He didn't have to wrestle Juice Robinson a second time. I don't know how this helped Juice in any way. Right, like... Like, Juice did nothing to earn this. Like, there is... Right. Like, there's no... Like, I don't get... Like, how... Like, what was the logical reasoning for this match happening? To me, booking-wise, this might be the second... First or second biggest blunder of the entire weekend. It's really bizarre. Um, The other thing with it, too, is, like, the match was fine. It was good. I don't know if its placement on the card was where it needed to be. They worked hard, but it... It didn't, like, really deliver. Uh, it felt, like, too little too late. Like, the whole thing with Mox and Juice kind of, like, passed. Right, the heat was gone. They, and didn't, like, they didn't have a VTR. Yeah. Juice, you know, the difference between Juice and Archer is Archer did a lot to build the matchup. I know Juice didn't have that luxury because he didn't know for sure if uh, Mox was winning. Well, in like, kayfabe. He could have cut a promo on both guys. He, he should have done something. He should have done something. New Japan should have done something. Like, this was kind of heatless by the time it happened. And for a guy that's, like, as big of a star as Mox, it didn't help him. It didn't elevate Juice in any way. Neither guy is lower or higher than where they were. It was kind of just a non-issue by the time it ended. I did enjoy it for what it was, but it was just a... A non sequitur. This was basically like Miz and Kofi on a SmackDown. Yeah, it was would have been a good TV match, but it was here. a fine TV match. Yeah, and so yeah, John Moxley gets the win with the Deaf Rider. But then we had this awesome. This was awesome post match attack. So uh, you know Moxley celebrating, and then Kaze Ninare hits the King Minoru Suzuki arrives on the scene. He's wearing his uh, Suzuki Gun tracksuit. He starts smiling and laughing, rips off the pants, rips off the jacket, beelines to the ring. He starts brawling with Moxley. Then he gets, he chokes him, hits him with the gotch pile driver, grabs a belt, and uh, poses over him. And it looks like Suzuki is challenging for the IWGP United States Championship. 
Which is needed because we were making jokes all weekend about how this is the real white strap. <laughs> because they've literally had no foreign uh, or non-gaijin like challengers for the title. It's literally just been all white guys since since Kenny Omega beat Ishii for the title. Right. And, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because obviously Moxley can't defend the U.S. title in the U.S. Right. Um, so obviously he's going to be defending this title against Suzuki sometime down the line, but... You, you know, you got New Beginning in USA coming up at the end of the month. It would make sense to do a U.S. title match there unless those shows are not televised and you could do and you do Moxley can compete on the show if they're not televised. That's one thing. Another thing, too, is um, I don't know. Did you hear about the idea that Mox might have an out with his contract with AEW? What you mean? Like, a, like an out. Like a certain month time point or whatever? Yeah. That he an opt out. An yeah. opt out. Yeah. So I've heard that he has an opt-out clause, and that's one thing he could hypothetically be thinking about exercising. I don't know that that's true. That's just something I heard. I don't think he would. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But the other thing, too, is, like, um, it's very clear that there's not, and we'll talk about it later, there's not a working relationship between these two companies. There's just not. But things have softened for sure. Between AEW and New Japan. So is it possible that there might be a concession from Tony Khan to allow Moxley to work these dates uh, as the champion in North America? That's a possibility. Right. There's also the possibility that we have, as New Japan fans, anticipated that the uh, U.S. title might be highlighted on their uh, New Beginning U.S. tour more than it actually might be. It might not be at all. And we've just... Thought that it should be because that was the, you know, think about it this way. The Never title originally was supposed to be a title for young up-and-coming fighters. And And it never became that. It never was that, and it has never been that. But that's sort of what it was. Same thing with the U.S. title. The U.S. title was supposed to be this U.S. expansion belt, and it's never really kind of been that. Like, we got an ROH match between Kenny and uh, and, uh, (laughs) Yoshi, and that's about it. Like, well, so maybe, maybe we all think it's going to be this, like, U.S. expansion title. It's really not. All I'm saying is we got tickets now for a new beginning in St. Pete. I'm trying to see Suzuki versus Moxley for the main event, St. Pete Coliseum. Do you think they're going to do that on the first night? Is, is Tampa the first night? It's one of them. Miami's, the, like, the last night, yeah. or Georgia. Georgia is the last night. So we're not getting the title match. Hey, man, you kick off a tour for bang, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think I was wrong. I was anticipating that maybe this would be like a blood sport match, but I think New Japan's going to put the Knicks on that and be like, nah, playa. Yeah. Nah. So, uh, yeah, I, I am looking. I thought that it makes a lot of sense why they didn't do Suzuki's music on the first night because they were waiting for this pop on the second night. But I'm like, in a way, I'm kind of like, did they just sacrifice Juice Robinson <laughs> so that they could build a program between Mox and Suzuki? Like, okay, that's fine. Like, but I don't know. I think this is super questionable. I think it was stupid booking. They didn't need to do Juice and 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 Mox whatsoever. You know what I mean? Right. And part of me does feel like, oh, we should have seen this coming. It's Moxley. We should have right, seen yeah. it coming. But we worked ourselves into a shoot. We're like, oh, Juice. Definitely winning both belts. Right. <laughs> well, the story made sense that for Juice to win, but... Sort of. Yeah. 
But uh, so we move on to the never open weight championship match as the champion Kenta defends against the challenger Hiroki Goto. Um, no Shibata to second here. No Shibata at all. Yes. So, um, man, um, this is probably one of the more divisive matches in terms of fan reception. I've seen people who love, I mean, really, really, really loved it. I've seen people who've been super cold on it. So this is probably one of the ones with the widest range of opinions. But um, just shocked that Shibata wasn't involved in any way with the match whatsoever. And for a while, I thought maybe he's just not there. But we found out the next night he's in Japan. So what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what was going on there. Like, oh, you want to hear something? Yeah, Brock Lesnar is going to be in the Royal Rumble. <laughs> oh my gosh! Glad they took the the belt off Kofi. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I just I don't get like obviously they they wanted to generate heat with Shibata angle, which it did. You know, best angle of twenty nineteen. But at the end of the day, they kept involving Shibata, and then all of a sudden, he's they stopped involving him, and he's just not back at all. Well, I think the last like um, angle where he took a lot of bumps and stuff was around the time that they were building to Goto being the challenger. So I think that they're trying to get sympathy and translate that to Goto because they never mentioned Shibata again. They never brought him back, and then the whole build was between Shibata and Kenta. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Goto and Kenta. So, um, but I always thought they would involve Shibata, especially given their connection. Here's the one thing. If you weren't going to involve their connection, involve their friendship, involve their long story past, and do some sort of quote-unquote comeuppance when it comes to Shibata, then why go with Goto at all? Yeah. This could have easily been Ishii. right. They could have swapped the Go- I mean, Goto and Ishii, you like have Goto fight earlier on, and then this right the Ishii, yeah, right. They could have they could have flip flopped it. Have have Goto be that guy that was getting beat up by Kenta early on in the other tours, and then have Ishii be the dome guy or whatever you wanted to do. Like, I don't know, man. Um, it just like it's fine. Um, I think you and I have different opinions and experiences when it comes to this match. But I also have to admit that I was watching it on that faulty feed, and that might have kind of soured my experience on the match mm-hmm. just a little bit. I'll, I'll let you give me, give me yours in a moment, but I thought this. I thought the match was good. I didn't think it was great. Part of it was I thought that the crowd was dead from literally from like the um, – Probably the Liger match up until the Y2J match, I just thought the crowd was dead. Even during the Jay White Kota Bushi match, I just think the crowd didn't care. I don't think they reacted much to Goto and Kenta until the very end. I thought the closing segment was fantastic, but the rest of the match was kind of just lackluster. They were hitting. Now, um, I read and heard where there are people talking about how hard they hit each other and that this might have been one of the most hard-hitting matches they've ever seen. I don't know if I thought that, but I thought they are hitting each other pretty hard. But again, I was, watch, I was walk, uh, watching it on a pretty faulty feed, so I don't know. But when Goto beat Kenta like clean at like 16 minutes, I was kind of shocked. 
and then there was never a Shibata, and then the match just kind of ended, and I was just like, oh, that was good, but kind of flat. Yeah. Um, so for me at this point, you know, I'm hyped up on, uh, you know, coffee and Red Bull. So I don't know. I really enjoyed this match. Uh, I thought it was very hard hitting. I don't think it was the hardest hitting match I've seen, but I thought they were hitting each I heard other. Brian Alvarez say that he okay. was saying that it was the hardest hitting fight he'd ever seen. I was like, what the. I was like, really? I, I wouldn't say that, but they they were hitting each other very hard. The the you know open hand uh, slot, uh, slaps and chops and uh, Kent uh, really laid down his kicks and that that uh, the psycho knee towards the end was awesome. Um, and like you mentioned, that that closing stretch was just fantastic. Um, yeah, I really yeah I was definitely higher on this match than you are. I thought it was a great uh, hard hitting battle. I think Kenta is really you know. Settling in in his role here as this heel uh, uh, generates heat throughout the match and just uh, you know just bathing in the booze and just you know and you want to see him you know get beat and like I predicted I thought they were going to get some comeuppance here because they they're transitioning that sympathy onto Goto from Shibata and Goto is fighting for Shibata's honor so I figured that Goto was getting the win here and. Uh, yep, yeah, like you mentioned Goto hits the GTR in the end and gets the win clean. Now, I'll say this. I think you are right with your logic, but I think you're wrong with what you're saying right now um, because they didn't involve Shibata at all. Shibata became a non-factor in the feud, and when you make him a non-factor in the feud, then the feud makes very little sense, if you want my honest opinion. Mm-hmm. What it really comes down to, and we'll talk about Kenta later in the show, I think it was just about getting the belt off Kenta. Right. More than any, more than anything about revenge or blood feud or comeuppance, it should have been about comeuppance. It should have about been about a measure of revenge and all that. And maybe to the fans who were there, who remembered what happened with Shibata, they still, that still mattered. But when Shibata didn't second him, he didn't make an appearance, he didn't come out, that kind of killed it for me, and I was like, why did they even take the belt off Kenta? We hear about guys like, quote-unquote, losing up, you know, getting freed of belts so that they can do other things. I think that's all this was. Right. You but, know? I mean, for me, I don't know. I, that's what makes sense in my head. I saw the – I can't forget that I saw that angle. No, you were right when you were talking about the logic of it. Yeah. But the actual booking of it doesn't match that at all. And, you know, originally I thought this. I was like, well, maybe they didn't bring Shibata out because they're maybe saving that match for later on and they're still hoping to, like, not tease it because maybe maybe they're going to do it later. But, and take it, you know, for what you will, uh, when I listened to One or <laughs> One Nation Radio, the uh, Wrestling Observer, they, they said that the official reports are that Shibata will never wrestle again. Just like I've been saying for well over a year, right? That the guy is not going to be cleared, but that's what they're now officially saying. So I don't know. I think maybe New Japan was like, "Well, we fucked up. We teased something before we actually had it approved. We were hoping it would be. Now it's not. So we don't even want to like approach it at all. Like they're taking like a caution first sort of like approach to it. And I think that's probably what happened here. But um. You know, it, it, it was fine. I, I thought the match was good. I think maybe I should rewatch it because some people seem to really, really love it. I didn't love it like that, but I would have gone like three and a half on this. Yeah, I went four and a quarter. 
Oh shit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so yeah. But you know, there's a a lot of this card where I, I was like that. Like with John Moxley and Juice, I was like three three and a quarter on that. I went three and a half on that. Okay. But Zach and Zach Saber and Sonata, I was like four and a quarter. I went. I, I think I went flat four on that. I would have gone maybe higher if they were given just a little. Yeah, bit I would have. Yeah, I would have gone higher too if they got more time. That was like I was like, once that match started, I was like, oh shit, <laughs> we on pace. And then like these two matches happened, and I was like, all right, well, we on pace, I guess. <laughs> so uh, after that match, we had the uh, traditional announcement of schedule for the big shows throughout the year. So on uh, February, and, and also I just want to say something I'm not good with is arena sizes, show show like uh, analysis. You're better with this stuff than I am. So like, you go through it and you tell me like what s- s- is striking to you. All right. So we have a new beginning in Sapporo, which is happening on February 1st and 2nd. Uh, new beginning in Osaka, February 9th. So we've mentioned this before. They are that's r- big. They're running Osaka Joe Hall twice this year. So, new beginning in Osaka and Osaka Joe Hall, February 9th. Then the 48th anniversary show will be happening in Ota City Gymnasium on March 3rd. The New Japan Cup Finals will be happening on March 20th and 21st. Uh, Sakura Genesis is back. We mentioned that a couple weeks ago. Sakura Genesis is happening again. That's going to be happening in Sumo Hall on March 31st. Um, there's wrestling Satsuma no Kuni, which is happening in the Kagoshima Arena on April 29th. Then wrestling Dantaku is happening at the Fukuoka International Center May 3rd and 4th. The Best of the Super Juniors final is happening at Ota City Gymnasium June 6th. So there's kind of a change there. So uh, last year's Best of Super Junior finals was in Sumo Hall. So they've kind of downgraded for the uh, best of Super Junior Finals this year. It's probably a good idea. Um, then we got uh, Dominion, Osaka Joe Hall, as usual, June 14th. And then the G1 Climax 30 Finals will be happening in Sumo Hall October 16th to the 18th. Like we mentioned earlier in the show, G1 has been moved to the fall. And we already kind of talked about this. We speculated about this months ago due to the Olympics being announced in Tokyo during the summer. So G1 Climax 30 going to be in the fall finals in October. Kind of kind of funny. We'd heard uh, other like New Japan speculators be like, oh, well, nothing's really confirmed. They might actually, you know, uh, the Olympics really aren't running that many different venues that they run during the G1. They might actually just run the G1 in the summer. And like we'd already heard and reported like, no, it's going to be in the fall. Right. <laughs> and then come to find out it's in the fall just like we said it was gonna be and yeah uh but they're not in Budokan, right they're back to sumo hall which is where that's traditionally their, that's been, their yeah. traditional roots uh i think a lot of the reason they weren't there before had to do with like uh construction and things like that so that makes total sense mm-hmm. um also them not being in the ria goku for the best super juniors finals makes sense uh you know, they did good numbers, but not great Not good enough, numbers. yeah. And yeah. obviously, Shingo's not going to be in this year. Osprey might not. We don't know 100% sure yet, but he might not be in there. So, yeah, it makes sense to kind of scale it down. Um, I think the biggest, like, um, surprise, well, a couple of surprises from this. No U.S. dates were announced. That was surprising. No international dates were announced. 
um, at all. There's some gaps in the schedule, so there's some, some things to still be announced between now and, you know, obviously later in the year. They didn't announce the Tokyo Dome for next year. Right. And I think that's because they don't know if they want to do one or two nights or not. I think so, too. I think that they want to analyze the data and the metrics and everything like that, what they did here, and kind of decide and negotiate and everything of that nature. And so I think that's why they didn't say, like, we'll see you next year in the Tokyo Dome. Right, which they normally do, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, obviously, them running Osaka Joe Hall during New Beginning is a huge... Ambi- that's that's probably the most ambitious change in their schedule this year um, than they've had in the past, um, which means they're going to need to do something that really draws big business because that's in February. Right. That's yeah. next month. Yep, a month away from that. Um, other than that, though, everything was pretty standard by the numbers. Did you say they're running Hino Kuni? Well, it's not Hinokuni. It's a different name. Um, unless, I guess, unless it is Hinokuni, just shortened, but it's wrestling... Satsuma no Kuni. Okay. So I don't know if that's different from Hino. I guess it's not. Well, I was confused when I was watching it because there was a few dates there that didn't have any, like, English names. And I was like, what is happening during that date? What is that? (laughs) Right. But um, is that usually, what what tour is that usually? Um, Oh, God. So I think normally it is wrestling. It was wrestling Hino Kuni. Okay. Uh, last this but, you uh, know, 2019 was like what during Duntaku tour? Yeah. Okay. But it was in it was in April though, and then Duntaku was in leads, leads into Duntaku, which is May. Okay. So, so same kind of schedule here, but for someone for some reason the name is a little bit different. Well, we don't have Sengoku Lord, and we don't have Hino Kuni, um, which were usually dates that took place during the Duntaku tour, right? And, yeah, and, uh, no WrestleMania weekend announcement, which I pretty much figured they weren't running Tampa since no. they're they're doing it for a new beginning in USA. Why would you do it, you know, twice so soon? So didn't think that was happening. Um, hearing rumors, you know, there's been rumors about Madison Square Garden. It seems like that might not be happening now. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of, you know, ifs. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, and there was um a- any... There have been some, like, podcasts who have been alluding to it, and I just want to say they were not wrong. We'd heard things about it as well. We just hadn't chose to, like, say anything about it just yet. But it appears like there might be some management changes as to what dates they run. So anyone who was, like, saying, like, anyone who was teasing it or saying they heard about it, they weren't wrong. That's, from what we understand, what management was saying. But it appears like it might it could still be happening. Um, we we went through this last year when they were thinking about running uh, Mass Square Garden. It was like, will they? Won't they? They were like, we heard the rumors. They're like, no. And then they're like, yes. And then like, no. And then right. They and then there was it. legal issues and all kinds of stuff. Right. So. so it still could happen. But I'm going to tell you right now. I think they're not doing it. Pro- yeah. I, don't know. I think they're going to do something big, but I don't think it's going to be Madison Square Garden. Right. And uh, I hate to say this, but in the states. I think them them running Madison Square Garden by themselves in what August, mm-hmm. that's going to be a failure. They shouldn't do it. So I'm kind of happy that it doesn't happen. Right, but there yeah, still rumors of some kind of big U.S. show in August. They should do a big since show since there's um, since there'll be no G1 climax. The schedule's going to be a little bit different. So. 
They're probably going to do some more international stuff during that G1, the normal G1 period. Yeah, and also no, obviously we talked about this before, we already knew it, but there's no Honor Rising. Right, yeah, it's going to be those uh, Tiger Hattori retirement shows. Yep, so we got that. The biggest thing is like in the past, these every year over the past three or four years, these um, announcements during Wrestle Kingdom have been more bigger, more ambitious. Last year it seemed like, Wow, their schedule is so ambitious. I don't know what they're going to do, especially with them losing as much talent as they did. And they ended up coming out better for it. But now this year, it seems like they're a a little bit scaling back. Just a little bit, yeah. And it's more in line with their traditional, you know, we've always talked about the way that this company operates. We're like, they're very cautious. They're not that, like, they don't escalate things that fast. This is more in line with what I normally expect from New Japan as, as a corporate office. Yeah. So uh, back to the card now after that announcement that took us to the uh, the losers match where we had Switchblade, Jay White. The consolation match, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Against uh, the Golden Star, Kota Ibushi. And now this match, I think way more than the Goto Kenta match. This is the most polarizing match that I've seen where you, think so? you have people on two completely different ends uh, the spectrum. Some people love this match. Oh, there's people that love this, uh, dude. Uh, I, I, I like this. Match. I liked it. I liked it way better than the Naito and uh, Jay White match. So do I. But I do. I do think that once again there was too much shenanigans in this match. Like so much ref bonds pulling the ref out. Gato involvement. There was more, um, like. Sort of shenanigans and ref bumps and you know outside interference in this match than there was in the match before, mm-hmm. but they were trending to have such a great match. Yes, and that's why I see a lot of people going like two stars, three stars on this thing, and I'm like, dude, they were doing. But they were having a fantastic. They match. were having a fantastic match. They were doing such great stuff. Murder Coda came out and was killing Jay White. White and Ibushi have fantastic yes. chemistry. Um, I don't know if I don't know if Jay White has better chemistry with any other major guy in New Japan. If you think about it, him and Naito don't. Him and Tanahashi don't. Him and um, Okada have good chemistry, but I would say not as good as him and Ibushi. And him and Omega did not. Who else has he wrestled like in a major? Him and Goto maybe. Yeah. Him and Goto have good chemistry. Him and Ibushi actually have really shockingly good chemistry. People don't like uh, acknowledge it. I think those. I think he's gonna have better matches with some of some of the new crop of guys that really like him and Shingo. Mm, yeah. Him and Goto. Him and he. He has like with guys that are bruisers because of the type of style. He's the chicken shit heel. He seems to wrestle better matches with those guys that are like the the bruisers and. Abushi's the best of that sort of ilk because he can do everything. Right. He's like a hybrid. Yeah, and yeah, Abushi was like murdering this guy, and they were doing. A, He's fucking had, him up. Yeah, dude, and hit a lot of like great spots. I I ended up going um, four and a quarter on this. I wouldn't go that high. I, I, I thought know, it was good. I know I was on the high end. Like right now, you're a little high on grapple. The average is three point seven two. I'd go three seven five. So this. a lot of people are, but it should have. You know what? It should have been higher. It should, right. have, it should have been four and a quarter or four and a half. It was trending that way. But every single time I was like, this match is great. They would do something to fuck it up. And it was 
you know me, like I'm fine with some outside interference. It doesn't ruin a match for me. Right. But when you do it over and over and over and over and it was very clear what was happening here. I was like, all right, guys, like this is getting a little tropey, a little dated, a little passe. Like, I don't know. Right. Honestly, like I think they should have had one major Gato like interference. And, Cause I liked when, you know, Abushi was a no selling Gato's attacks. And then, like, just dropped him. Like, he should have been done after that. He should have not come back, been able to come back from the match. But then he came back in again. It just was egregious. It just kept happening. And um, third from the top, it I guess it was fine. But um, for how good of a match they were having, it just didn't really fit the story. It didn't fit uh, the moment. One thing, though, that I think is worth mentioning we kind of anticipated Jay White and Kota Ibushi being a number one contenders match going forward. It doesn't seem to be that way at all. Right. It actually seems to be that whoever lost the match had the more interesting story going forward. And that's not just me saying that out of a biased perspective because I'm a uh, Kota Ibushi fan. But if you look at what happened on New Year's Dash, the guy who won ends up in a constellation feud with a peripheral guy as opposed to being a real title contender or challenger but you have someone like abushi who lost here just like he lost in the dome the year before against uh oh uh, osprey and you kind of have a compelling story built out of it so i'm kind of wondering if it's not similar to like when he lost the icy title to naito and the winner the loser is the real winner here right and the winner is kind of in limbo because this you know there was people who were like, well, why are they doing a third-place match? It doesn't mean anything. We're like, well, they're going to be a first-place, you know, they're going to be a number-one contender. They're probably not now. Right. And we'll talk about why, but they're probably not. So it does kind of make you wonder, why did this even happen? And there are some people complaining because they're like, oh, well, it's to keep the heat on uh, Jay White. I'm wondering if it's not to get the simpy on Osprey or on, on Ibushi. Probably is, yeah. It probably is. Yeah. And so, yeah, so if you cut out all the interference, like this match would have been. It was good. Way, it would have been way better than what it was. But it, then it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> so. And it was long. Yeah, thing was like a. 25 minutes almost. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was it was fine. But, you know, if you're a, if you're a Jay White fan, here's the thing. Jay White's still a fantastic wrestler. He's still as good as ever, but, like, in the Dome, these are two really sour-tasting performances back-to-back. Back back. Back, yeah. It, it, and, it, and it gives the detractors against Jay White a lot of ammunition. ammunition. yeah. And I'm at the point where I don't even want to defend him anymore because I'm like, well, let let this man defend himself, you know? Right. If he wants to come out here and, ha- and have bangers, let him come out here and have bangers. If he wants to come out here and fuck off... Let him come out here and fuck off. Like, it's whatever at this point. Like, right. like I'm not that man's keeper. Here's what I will say, though. I'll take this Jay White crap over clowns trying to smash people with hammers <laughs> with red lights, over spooky perverts um, attacking top stars, over uh, wedding love triangle angles. I'll, t- I'll take this Jay White stuff all day compared to all that other stuff. So, 
That's what I'll say about that. Yeah, but that goes without saying. <laughs> it's, it's New Japan. It's way better. It's the best wrestling in the world. Well, I just got to put that in perspective for, for some people. Okay. So um, let's go to the semi-main event of the night. The AEW World Champion, Le Champion, Y2J, Chris Jericho, taking on the ace of the universe, Hiroshi Tanahashi. And the stipulation for this match was, if Tanahashi wins, he receives a title shot against Jericho for the AEW World Championship. Yes. And big news here. Like, so we were joking about uh, Ryuli earlier, or ROH title, no mention of it. Jericho wearing the AEW title down to the ring, and they put it over on commentary. They actually said the letters AEW. The, the announcers, they called him AEW champion Chris Jericho. So several mentions of all elite wrestling AEW throughout commentary. Yeah, and the crowd popped once the gold was revealed. They popped for the announcement. And, you know, conversely, you compare it to, like, the ROH title in years past. And they do Right, shit. I mean, they had Adam uh, Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly, which those guys have awesome matches. And the crowd didn't give, you know. Not only games. that, but um, Jay Lethal as well. Right, yeah. No response. Yeah. No sell from the crowd. The yeah. crowd was no selling that ROH fucking gold belt. They didn't care. But um, here they cared. Obviously, it's on Jericho, who's a big, a, bi- a much bigger star than all those guys combined. Honestly, but that that makes sense. So, but not only that, but like they did a good job taking a cold match and building it to being one of the most important matches of the weekend. Um, so there's definitely an awareness of AEW in Japan now. I did listen to a reaction show with uh, Floyd Johnson. And uh, Beast Mike over on uh, uh, get, Danny Danny Kugler. I'm sorry, Danny Kugler. I, I apologize. I'm getting the ring. Uh, shout out to those guys. And um, Floyd uh, might have been a little hyperbolic, but he's like, it's very clear that there's a working relationship in the works between these two companies. Um, and I know he's listening, so shout out to uh, Floyd. But I just want to say, there's not a working relationship <laughs> in the work between these guys. Um, there are the building, like, steps or stones to a potential down the line relationship between them, but they're not working together right now. Um, and this was kind of addressed very clearly by um, Chris Jericho during his post-match interview where he said, you know, he kind of addressed it in character, but also in kayfabe all at the same time, like, and, and all also honestly, so it was kind of weird, but he was like, you know, we kind of went, into, he basically said we went into business for ourselves. Right, yeah. And then we went to Tony Khan and we're like, hey, we did this. What do you think? And he he was like, hey, Tanahashi's losing anyways, so it's fine. And New Japan was like, Tanahashi's losing anyways. So it's fine. So it's fine. <laughs> Just like we've and been pl- saying for weeks. Right, and plus it was essentially free publicity for AEW. For both companies. Right, because if people, like if Japanese fans or New Japan fans didn't really know about AEW, and they saw that, like, oh, what's this AEW thing? But, the, but then there's the intrigue on the Japanese side. They're like, oh, if our if our boy wins, he might be able to go over and get that belt. Right, bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it home. Bring it home <laughs> to the motherland. But um, so no, no harm, no foul. But at the same time, it shows the desire from the fan base to maybe see these type of uh, different groups work together. 
But in no ways does that mean that these two groups are working together. And it's very clear from people who are in the know, people who are on the inside. AEW and New Japan do not have a working relationship. There's a lot of kinks, a lot of issues. Still a lot of politics. There's still a lot of, you know, sour grapes on both sides and management that need to be steamed out before anything can happen. Yes, but, you know, the fact that, like, we were in Dallas and... It was very clear not to ask any questions about AEW. Right, yeah, when we were, when we were in the press, uh, the presser, the Q&A. It was very clear not to do that. And, you know, like, people wanted to talk about Mox. They wanted to talk about Jericho. Those were two things that were very hot topics, yeah. hot topics that were happening. We were not allowed to talk about AEW at all. That's a huge change from, like, them showcasing the AEW World Championship in the Tokyo Dome, in front of 30,000 people plus, like, you know, it's a big deal. So um, they did a great job really building this match. And I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite matches of the entire dude, weekend. Dude, I love I this it. match, dude. This is awesome. You have two, you know, A-class veterans in here, guys who even at their age are great performers. They know how to tell a story. Two... Uh, Two superstars, and it was just, it was an awesome match. The whole time I was watching, I was like, Jericho is so good. Tanahashi is so good. Yes, um, Jericho actually said that this is the best Tokyo Dome match he's ever had. And there are there are going to be people who question that and probably argue and say he's had better matches with Kenny Omega. Oh, for sure. There, there are people going to be like, that's a five-star match. It's much better than this. And there's going to be people who say the Naito match was better. In the quote-unquote star rating spectrum, I went about four and a half on this, which is probably in the high high end of the spectrum, but that's how much I liked it. But Jericho was like, this is the best match I've ever had in the <laughs> Tokyo Dome. And um, they asked him during the press conference why he felt that way, and he was like, the timing. You know, this guy was so, like, he's like, our philosophies on wrestling are so similar. This is one of the smoothest and most crisp and most, like, perfect, concise Stories that you could probably find when it comes to a, a wrestling match. Everything was like, yes, it was gritty and hard hitting, but it was like perfect. And um, I don't know, man. Like it, it, there were elements of this that did remind me of the Cody match, but like this is like a higher level. Which, which Cody match with Jericho? Okay, but this is like a higher level of that because of like Tanahashi's tenure and like how. These guys were able to like read each other. It's like two masters of their of their craft just like plying their trade. It was amazing. Right. I doubt they like really planned this match out. They probably No. Yeah, they, yeah there's like they went out there and pretty much called it in the ring pal like the the true um veterans that they are. And yeah, this had a great match. Um yeah, I loved um you know just a lot of the, the taunting uh, back and forth, you know, there was uh, Jericho uh, strumming the guitar on Tanahashi at one point. Uh, there was another point where um, Tanahashi uh, did the the come on, bebe uh, Jericho taunt, um, going for a pin like Jericho uh, used to do in um, WWE. Still does it sometimes, but uh, that was uh, pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and just a lot of the, a lot of great back and forth here. Uh, yeah, just just so, so much good stuff that they, these guys did. Yeah, I just um, I really, really, really love this. Um, 
you know, Jericho is like ugly at this point. <laughs> like he can't, he comes out there and like he can show elements of like what he was when he was younger, but he's not trying to work like he was when he was younger. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, Tanahashi comes out there with like the f- just awesome gear. Like his dome gear this year was yeah, was awesome. Some of my favorite that he's ever had. It was just so great. And um, it was like a departure between the two. You've got like Jericho, who's like, yes, he can still go. Yes, he's a fantastic talker. Yes, he's a great character. But he's like kind of disgusting at this point. <laughs> Especially in the painmaker like outfit and the gear and like he's got the the weight belt and is like It's like a grimy old oh, man. He's starting to get kind of gross. I loved um all Tanahashi's counters to the juice effect. Yeah, Tanahashi like studied the juice effect and you notice he never like would let he never got hit with the juice right. effect at all. He put he put hands up, he dodged it, ducked it. Yeah, it was awesome. There's actually a really uh there's a match between um, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and um, Jake Roberts from 86. Uh, it's on the network, actually. It's from Boston Gardens, where um, Jake Roberts was studying <laughs> Rick Steamboat, and every time he would try to chop him, he put up both of his arms and he would block yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that. <laughs> I love that idea that guys, like, study each other and they, like, come up with plans to be- to like defeat one another, right? And we had uh, both of these guys attempting each other's moves. Uh, Tanahashi hit Jericho for Codebreaker. Yeah, at one point, Tana- uh, Jericho tried the high fly flow, didn't quite hit it. Jericho, hit, uh, Tanahashi went for a high fly flow, and Jericho countered it into a Codebreaker. That was the one wonky thing that didn't kind of look right, right? Because I think the problem was like Tanahashi was slipping. Yeah, when he was trying to get his footing, and so I think Jericho had, had got up too fast because Tanahashi hadn't quite. The timing was weird. Right. So it was like at the point, like Jericho's already up. Like he could have moved out of the way, but. Well, that's what happens when you buy new boots for the dome. You need to, you know, wear those boots in. You're right. You need to wear something that's broken in already. Break those boots in. Right. (laughs) But um, this match was masterclass storytelling. It was just really, really incredible. And Jericho picked up the win here with the. um, Lion Tamer. The Lion Tamer. And the thing is, like, there was a few points where he locked it in once or twice before and. It was so close to Tanahashi tapping. So when he finally locked it in like a third time, I was like, oh, fuck. And the first few times, it was more of like the, the walls the of walls, Jericho, yeah. Boston Crab. But at the end there, he put that traditional WCW line tamer on that man, bent it back. Yeah, and when, once he tapped, it was the right time. It was the right moment. He tapped out. Every, and like, you know, I, I was rooting for I – knew, I knew Jericho's winning. I called it on the show, but I was rooting for Tanahashi. As a diehard Tanahashi fan, I was shouting. I was like, come on, Tanahashi. <laughs> like, I was shouting, right, bro. Yeah. But, like, he, I knew he was going to tap out, and he did. And um, that was the right call. Uh, I think we kind of thought maybe, like, a juice effect, but I'm glad he didn't get laid out. There were people who were like, I can't believe Tanahashi tapped out in the dome on the big stage. And I'm like, dude. Anyone who says that's not watching New Japan, this guy gets tapped all like not all the time, right? But, like uh, they're not seen the saber matches. <laughs> yeah, he's been tapped by saber. He's been tapped by uh, Sonata. He's been tapped by people. Like it's just that. Like <sighs> we here at, at at Social Suplex, we're very good at finessing. <laughs> 
So I don't respect when other people try to finesse, but then it's very apparent that like, I'm like, you're not watching this. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to finesse, like do your re like, you don't have to have watch that shit, but at least research a little bit. Don't say anything that's too out of left field. That's going to give away that you're not watching this. And obviously there's a lot of publications that are like wanting to cover it. Cause it's a big show. Right. But I can listen within five minutes of listening to a podcast. I can tell you whether they really watch new Japan or not. And I can tell you half the, the shows I listened to over the last three days, half of them did not don't watch New Japan. Mm. That's why you come to the Ace of Podcasts to get your uh, New Japan coverage. But um, this match was great. The story was great. This was one of the coldest matches going into the Dome and ended up being one of the best stories, best built matches. And um, Jericho did a fantastic job. In the post-match, I highly recommend his post-match interview if you haven't listened to it. Um, and I think it could potentially lead to something down the line. If You know, he did say, he's like, I'm not an executive VP. I'm not owner of the company. I'm just the champion. Um, so I can't make the decisions about whether we work together or not. But he's like, but I think we should from a business perspective. And he even said, he's like, I'll give Tanahashi a tile shot. And he was like, I want to work with Ibushi. Suzuki, Jay White, like he lists a bunch of people, and I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, like I want to see it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, looking forward to hopefully more AEW New Japan interactions. So now we this felt like an unofficial title match. It, you know what? It pretty much was. It, it should have called it a title match. Like Jericho's winning. Like just say, oh, Tanahashi's getting a title shot. Nah, they weren't ready to do all. that. I know they were like. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so now we're on to the they didn't main. Go all the way in, just the tip. <laughs> <laughs> We're now at the main event, the IWGP champion versus the IWGP Intercontinental champion, the double title match, the finale of the double gold dash, Tetsuya Naito versus Kazuchika Okada. Man, um, six years. Most protected match in the last two years, for sure, in the company. Uh, two biggest stars. I mean, what do we say here? You know, high stakes in the history of, you know, this podcast, at least in a match. Like, I don't know what we talk about here. There's so many angles. Yeah. Here's what I'll say. So, you know, you made your prediction that Okada Bushi was going to be the match of the weekend. It was. It was. I oh, know. Hold on. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's going to be the match of the weekend. Like, nothing's going to top it. And you look at this match compared to that match. Yes, from an in-ring standpoint, Okada Bushi was a better match but then if you factor in the story and just this six year odyssey the culmination of this story that literally that we've been following since we started the show in the fall of 2017 like this has been one of the biggest like narratives and questions that we've gotten throughout the years of doing this show and just to see the culmination of this moment, all the callbacks to all those matches that we've reviewed and matches yeah. we've watched. And to me, I thought it was the, the perfect blend of story and action in the ring. And I went, yeah. the, I went the full five on this as well. Oh, I'm five. I'm five on this. Um, three five-star matches in, in, a, two, in, day. in two days. What the fuck? <laughs> 
there have been entire years where there have been no five star matches in the entire industry of wrestling, and that's legit. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm glad you're here because, yeah, you're absolutely right. When I first started listening to um, Voices of Wrestling podcast, they kind of like alluded to the idea that the Tanahashi and um, Okada feud was something that propelled them to become fans of uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling that drew uh, audiences to their publication, to their website, to their writing, everything of that nature, and kind of defined the era of their growth for their show. Conversely, I would say Naito and Okada is that for us. Yeah. I know that over the past two years, these guys really haven't locked up. So it would almost seem like, well, what are you talking about? You know, it's not like you guys spend a lot of time talking about the rivalry or the feud between Okada and Naito. But what are we spending most of our time talking about? We're talking about Okada's trajectory and we're talking about Naito's trajectory. And it all started with that fateful um, Tokyo Dome match two years ago when everybody thought Naito should have gotten the strap. From that time period, we went through Naito's ups and downs in the IWGP Intercontinental Division. We talked about Okada's legendary title reign, his feud with Kenny Omega, dropping the belt, going through his haywire phase, his feud with Jay White, regaining his old self, regaining the belt. And then finally, we wound up here at the Double Gold Dash with you know Okada being the dominant defining champion of the decade and of New Japan today and Naito being the dark ace, the guy who was the underdog, but also at the same time, the biggest star from a fan perspective and from a merch perspective and from a popularity perspective, you, you've got the two biggest stars who have years. I mean, we're, we're talking about from like 2011, 2012, history with one another and um you know two prior dome show matches with one another you know the history with these two particular belts and in, in you know this was this is the match that had to happen and we we said it for a long time i mean all year we've been saying that this had to happen and it it finally happened and yes um it wasn't quite the same style of epic as Ibushi was. It wasn't the same sort of um, level of athleticism that you got in the Osprey and Hiromu match. But when it comes to fan investment, fan interaction, and that's not to say that this wasn't a great match. It was. But nothing, nothing got the fans in the Tokyo Dome to... You compare any match on night one with 40,000 fans to this match... On night two with 30,000 fans, this blows any of those matches away from fan reaction, period. Yeah, yeah. I 100% agree with you. The crowd, they were totally invested. In They're living and dying. Right. Every near fall, they were on the edge of their seats hoping and praying that Tetsuya Naito would finally be able to pull it out here and uh, defeat Okada in the Dome and become the IWGP champion again. Both And also, these guys both came out with, like, all the swag in the world. We already talked about, like, Okada's gear, but, like, Naito came out with, like, the white, white, 
white. Like when he came out in the white, I was like, yeah, this man, this, the man, win it. this man about to win the belts. And it's funny, dude. I went this whole match. I just thought back to Dallas when we were in the press room, and I remember you saying, "Look at Naito's face and the way he's talking." Like this guy, you were like, he's winning the G one. He's gonna win the title. I knew he's winning the titles in the dome based right. on what, based on the way he talked. If if you remember my question and the way he responded to my question, like, and I know we can be marks for ourselves, blah blah blah, whatever. But there is very few things I'm as proud of it when it comes to this podcast as it was that moment with me and Naito when I was like, talk to us about you and Okada, talk to us about the dome. And I, I had I probably said it in a longer form, mm-hmm. but when he said it, I was like, "Oh shit, he's he's beating Okada, and he fucking knows it." Right. And so as soon as I that, the whole match, I just thought back to that moment <laughs> and his answers in Dallas. <laughs> and if you guys want, it's in the archives on on the RSS feed. Look up uh, you know G one Q and A from uh, Dallas, and it's there you can hear us um, interviewing these guys. But yeah, man, this was just beautiful pro wrestling, man. At its best, it's just beautiful. I loved this match. It was a very fitting uh, main event here. Um, so much great stuff. Freaking Naito hitting the Stardust Press, the yeah. move that cost him the title two years ago. So, so we talked about that, you know, previously where, like, his hubris and his, um, you know, in the past prior to him going in Gobernables was the fact that he was the Stardust genius, that he was this low-rent version of Tanahashi that he was trying to play and placate himself to the fans. And then he kind of went away from that. He became ingovernable and, you know, everything of that nature. And then finally on that night when it was him and uh, Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, what was that, 12? Yep. He, his hubris got the best of him. He tried to revert to that, be- what he had tried to be previously, that beloved image of the Stardust genius. He was no longer L.I.J. Naito. He was trying to be- regain his former self as the Stardust genius. And he tried one too many things too many times, and he got caught. He missed the Stardust press. He went too many times for this, you know, he got caught, he got beat, and he lost to a better man that night. So on this night, when he went for the Stardust Press, people were freaking out. But I was like, "That's not Stardust Genius Naito. That's Ingobernables. That's Ingobernables Naito saying I can fucking hit you with the Stardust Press because I'm because I'm Naito and fuck it, I can do whatever the fuck I want." And I was like, "Hell yes! Like this man does not give a fuck anymore." And like he did not go into that. He was spitting all over Naito. Like he was not playing to the crowd. He was not trying to regain his former self. He was being LIJ Naito the entire match. Like there was no deviating from what brought him to the dance. And some people might think like, oh, he hit Gloria and oh, he hit the Stardust Press. And he was like, bitch, I can pull those out whenever I want to. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, I hit that Stardust Press. He nailed it, but got on the near fall. Dude, I thought he won. and <laughs> But he shouldn't have won there because right. that, that's a, that's an allusion to his old self. And right. like it was a great moment because he didn't miss it. Yeah, and then eventually he um, hits the Destino one last time. One, two, three, dome erupts. We have a new double champion, Tetsuya Naito, achieves his Destino. One last thing before we move on. 
the moment where they were in the center of the ring hitting trading forearms I don't know if I've ever seen a moment in New Japan ever and I've been watching almost my whole life in various different iterations I've never seen any crowd react to forearm trades like that where it was like <sighs> quiet <sighs> it was like it was like a soccer stadium like yeah. That was like one of those moments where I was like, oh, this is fucking legendary. Like this match, I understand that the other matches were cosmetically better and maybe more entertaining to a certain degree, but these were high-level storytelling and high-level pro wrestling presentations. This was every bit as good as those other two matches. It's five stars. Yeah. Beautiful. Dave's going to go five stars on all three of those matches. Right. Also... I'm surprised. I now when it comes to match of the year, I think those first two matches on night one are better. But on cage match and on grapple, this match is higher, well, or or at least it was the last time right. I checked. I think it's only by, by point one though. It's still crazy, and, and there's it's, less people have got put their votes in. So. That's still crazy. Yeah, that's still crazy. I, I don't know if it's going to shake out that way by the end of the year, but that's crazy that right now it is. Yeah, that's nuts. I mean, I I think it's the match of the year uh, contender. Candidate. Oh, I I mean, it's a five-star match. Of course yeah. it is. Um, yeah, so we get the post-match. Um, you know, Okada's helped back up. Naito's cutting his promo. Says, Okada, we need to do it again. Okada raises his fists, you know, LIJ style. I loved that. I loved that he, like, recognized that he bested him, and he's in the aisle, and he raises his fist up. Like, that was so cool. Then uh, Naito is presented the championships. He lays them down and poses. Thanks all the fans uh, and that are watching and finally see him flip the script. And he says, what will he do with the two belts? He says, tranquilo, asenayo. He says he will never forget this weekend. He will take these belts into the future. He starts doing his roll call. Bushi, Evil, Sonata, Shingo, Hiromu. Takagi. Lo- Takagi. Los Ingobernable. <laughs> gets knocked out by Kenta and this man Kenta comes out here ruins the moment ruins the celebration lays this man out with the PK go to sleep crisscross applesauce on this man's chest Shibata style holding both the titles crowd booing hated it heat um you know what? I'll disagree with you a little bit. Kind of booing. I wouldn't say booing, booing. Like I wouldn't say that that was nuclear heat. If, in my opinion, it seemed like the air just kind of went out of the building. Like they stuck around. This thirty thousand was like a hardcore fan base, more so than that forty from the night before. They were there to see Naito win. Uh, it was very clear that the fans were sort of exhausted from the night before and kind of tired. And then once the Y2J match happened, they per- perked up. But once once the main event came around, they came to life. And they were elated, ecstatic at the idea of Naito winning. And then when Naito's doing the roll call and everyone's waiting for the moment, and then the Kenta move comes in, they just kind of died bro like they just kind of died like they were they were booing but it was like that like obligatory boo like the boo 
fuck. <laughs> well, yeah, man. The the moment that they we've we all been waiting for. But is that the heat that you want? Well, it could be. It could be. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that this was, from a business perspective, a mistake. But it very well could be. We'll find out uh, New Beginning in Osaka. If you judge strictly from the, in a, in a vacuum, from, from the reaction to the Tokyo Dome, it for sure was. For sure. This is not the kind of reaction you want to this sort of angle where, where like, a baby face is um, rejoicing after a six-year odyssey. I get what they were going for. This was Tommy Dreamer beating Raven and then Jerry Lawler and his cohorts showing up, coming out of the dark and attacking him. Mega heat. This didn't draw mega heat. It should have drawn mega heat. Instead, it was apathy and disappointment and the kind of shit that we complain about when we watch WWE because they do stuff for heat's sake and don't actually get the kind of heat that we think they should be. This is like Baron Corbin heat. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It left people in the dome and watching feeling very sort of deflated. It was very similar to like the Chris Jericho after Dominion. Um. And I want to say this. There are people who really defended that Chris Jericho segment during Dominion at, when he attacked Okada and it got heat and people were upset. But what happened, and people were like, oh, you don't get wrestling because that was a you weren't supposed to leave happy. That's going to make the feud between him and Okada hotter and the feud between him and Tanahashi hotter. If it was true then why did they have to go the AEW title route six months later when it was the coldest thing on the entire card? No one remembered that shit or cared about it. Do you know what I mean? Right. Now, it might be different with the Kenta thing. We're going to talk about New Year's Dash, and so they, they've got something to build on. And they if they do a good job with VTRs, who knows? But in a vacuum, in the moment, it was the, probably the wrong call, if you want my honest opinion. Now, this was a judgment call. Who knows what Gato wants to do? Gato might do something different or, you know, or might have a different plan, uh, idea in mind. I think part of the idea here is that they're afraid that all these people who are ardent and strong Naito supporters are going to abandon him the moment that they give the big payoff, mm-hmm. sort of like the Brian thing, you know? And so they might think like, oh, well, but I also have this fear. I'm like, you guys keep making this guy look like a bitch every time you give him a big moment. People are going to abandon him in one way or the Regardless, other. Regardless, right. Regardless. Yeah. He doesn't look that strong. Even after beating Okada, you're kind of burying the entire company, but whatever. Like, I I get it. It's it's wrestling, whatever. But um, I feel like this. If you wanted to set up Kent, okay, here's the thing that really sucks. Kenta got beat clean by Goto earlier in the night. I understand losing up. I understand uh, building to a future feud. But you didn't... They probably shouldn't have done it in the same night. They probably shouldn't have. And they're... Like, I get the logic. They're like, oh, well, Kenta is a heel who is illogical. He lost that night, and he thinks he's deserving of a title shot. So he's attacking 
uh, you know, Naito and ruining his moment and thinking he's deserving, even though he's quote-unquote not because he already lost that night. So it, it makes him even more despicable. But to some people who are logical, they're just going to think like, well, this guy's a loser. He doesn't deserve the shot, and he beat up our champion. So now everyone looks weak. I could see that, but based off of tradition of losing up in this company, I mean, we saw Minoru Suzuki lose clean to Hiroki Goto at Wrestle Kingdom, and then he's getting what he, I... He didn't, I, he didn't attack... He did not attack Okada the same night. No, but, I mean, he still got Tile Shot, a higher title. Um, when he attacked him later. Right. And he had years of... Okay, I, I agree with you. I think that Kenta is a viable challenger. Mm-hmm. Look at his resume. But he didn't attack... He shouldn't have attacked in the same night. Do you know what I mean? Right. They should have built at least a 24-hour space before he did it. And also, like, they should have just given people the moment. Like, can you imagine if uh, Daniel Bryan was holding those top two titles over his head in the, in the fucking, um, you know, uh, what? New what, Orleans. Yeah, whatever that dome is in New Orleans. And then Kane attacks him to set up the Extreme Rules match. <laughs> Can you imagine how fucking pissed he'd be? Oh this God. was that for those fans there. Right, it was. Yeah, I'm not, not arguing that. Definitely, if you're LIJ fan or fan of that building, like, being that great moment, like, you, you got you got the win taken out of you. I, I know that, like, you don't always have to send the phone, fans home happy. But on the big shows, maybe you should. I think it's a ballsy move, and if ultimately it works out for New Japan and Gato's right, then fine. I'll be like, you know what? That was fine. Maybe I didn't agree with it at the time, but it's fine. I'm I'm willing to say that, but I'll tell you right now, I think it's not going to work out as well as they think it is. I don't know. Based off what I heard from New Year's Dash, and we're going to roll into that right now, I, I think they might get what they're looking for. That is possible, but keep in mind that the New Year's Dash fans are similar to, like, the Raw after WrestleMania fans, the most diehard of diehard insidery fans that you possibly could get. It's not as indicative of the broader fan base. The broader fan base is that Wrestle Kingdom fan, they were, bro, they were pretty silent. But They went off the air, like, quiet. But one thing, though, with that Raw after Mania crowd, they have started to set the trend... For what That's other true. crowds do, chance moments, um, things For they do. For a few do. weeks. Well, when you have completely bad booking, it's kind of hard to keep that momentum. But, but anyway. But, but this is a brand, this is a, a, a feud that they're going to need to sell out Osaka Joe Hall off of. Right. There is there is the thought that I thought, I was like, well, maybe the reason they're doing this is because, A, they're trying to keep Naito sympathetic and chasing, even though he's the champion. There's also the idea that I was like, maybe Kenta hasn't done as hot as they'd like him to do, and they're trying to heat him up because they're probably paying him a really big contract. And up to now, he probably hasn't moved business to really warrant that big contract, and maybe this is the way that they try to um, generate buzz and draw a big house off of his name credential. And that is a protected match. We've never seen Naito and Kenta ever um, that's the main reason that I kind of predicted maybe Ibushi would beat Jay White. Cause we thought when we thought that that was the number one contender match, I was like, well, what's going to do better in Osaka Joe Hall? Right. But neither of those matches are happening. Instead, it's going to be this Kenta match. 
I just, I think that you could have hypothetically done a more effective attack angle during New Year's Dash. And there are some people who, who question that. They're like, well, that's too, that's too like on the nose. Like it's, everyone knows that New Year's Dash is where the feuds come, you know, happen. Mm-hmm. And so this was more unexpected. But if you want my opinion, it's a tried and true method. Have the happy moment at Wrestle Kingdom. Do the attack the next night. Draw the heat. But this was his judgment call. Gato thought it would be better in front of a bigger audience with more eyes on it to do the attack at Wrestle Kingdom versus New Year's Dash, which is the secondary show. And that's what I was alluding to when I started the show and I said, it's judgment calls. This might not be worse. It really is only worse if it affects business. I think it might, but it really just comes down to whether New Beginning draws or not. Right, which is what we'll see based on the buildup. We'll see what they do on the road to New Beginning and see what happens there. I did not leave the night two feeling anything like night one, though, and I should have based off of how defining that moment and how historic it was. Yeah. I felt disappointed. I mean, it kind of was. I mean, it, was, it took the. It was like, man, like if it, it sucked the air out of everything, right? And some people might be like, "That's good booking," but I'm like, ah, "Is it? Maybe. We'll see. We'll see." At the end of the day, I know. I know it's like a horrible excuse, but they they got people talking. It it's they don't do this sort of thing in New Japan very often, often. right? So that's part. That's right. one of the things is like when they do do this sort of thing, they kind of have some goodwill, right? So let, let's roll in the New Year's Dash. We're going to kind of... We're going to have to speed through it. Yeah, we're going to cover this really quickly. I'm just going to kind of go over the results and some of the key angles here so we can get out of here. Uh, I know it's uh, been three and a half hours, and thank you guys for listening. I know you guys like the long episodes, um, and so appreciate you listening. Um, so New Year's Dash we had um, here in Ota City Gymnasium, so obviously bigger than the Cork and Hall crowd. Yeah, we had uh, Carl Fredericks, Alex Coughlin, and Clark Cloners defeating Hanare, Yuyamura, and Yota Suji. Uh, pretty good opening match, but it does kind of feel like a um, kind of weird with Hanare coming off that win uh, in the dome, and then now they now he's on the losing end with the Young Lion Boys. I'm not too surprised. It's not like he took the pinfall himself. Um, they wanted to highlight the the LA Dojo Young Lions, so it kind of made a little bit of sense. Um, that's pretty much. I mean, I thought this is a really fun match. I thought it was one of the best matches of the night, actually. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, the interesting thing to me was when Yotasuji attacked the uh, LA Dojo Young Lions in the after rampway the match, after yeah. the match yeah. was over. Um, you know, kind of propelling and continuing the uh, the feud between the LA Dojo Young Lions and the uh, LA, Tokyo. Yeah. So then we had a non-title. Fatal four-way junior tag match, Desperado and Kanemaru. Very rare match in New Japan. Right. Uh, Desperado and Kanemaru defeated uh, Rapungi 3K, Bushi and Hiromu, and Ishimori and Phantasmo. Uh, thought it was... Um, spot fest. Yeah, spot fest. Good match. I liked it a lot more than the junior tag title match during Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, and Desperado and Kanemaru get the pin on, I believe they pinned show. So guess what, Josh? We get some more Rapungi 3K versus Zuki Goon in junior tag title. This is the feud that will never end. This is the eternal junior title, junior tag team title feud. Um, literally one year ago, we were watching. Um, <laughs> I guess it wasn't exactly these guys, but like 
I'm just like, dude, we've seen so many matches between the Suzuki Goon Juniors and Rapongi 3K. I don't if if I don't see it again for the rest of my life, I'm fine. We literally saw like a trilogy between these guys just this year on the uh what's it called tour? Which tour? The Super Juniors Tag League. Oh yeah, yeah. At least yeah, we saw two of those matches at least. I'm just like fuck. Like I, <laughs> I don't need to see it again. Yeah. Um. So, but it's it's gonna happen again, and this is one of those things where it's like we don't have enough junior tag teams. Right. So yeah. So then we had Kota Bushi, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Juice Robinson, David Finley defeating Bullet Club, which was comprised of. Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, and Gorillas of Destiny. Um, Ibushi, Tanahashi, and Finjuice get the win. And after the match, Ibushi and Tanahashi challenge Finjuice for the tag team titles. Which is exciting, but also you can do a lot of cool things from that. You can um, lead that into some sort of, uh, who knows, man. I mean, you could start a faction with, you. you could have like, Tanahashi and Ibushi lose and one of them splits off and starts a faction with the winners and maybe they all turn on the one guy you could have Ibushi and Tanahashi headline as like a mega team like we talked about a couple weeks ago like yep how you inject some life in this tag division you put two guys two stars that are not in the title picture right away you put them together and have them run with the titles you could Cause friction between Tanahashi and Ibushi and start a feud between the two of them that goes forward. You could cause one of these guys to start to, to go down a dark path and turn into a heel between, you know, there's a lot and, or vice versa on the other side of things with Finjuice, you could do the same thing. They can turn. Yeah. There's a lot of booking decisions and opportunities that you have when it comes to this. This is one of the most interesting and exciting things that's happened to the, uh, IWGP junior or I'm sorry, uh, heavyweight tag team, uh, division in a long time. And it kind of makes sense because of the fact that you just, you, you've got Abushi coming off of two losses as well as Tanahashi. And so it's kind of a, a crossroads turning point for them. Go to the tag team division. Right. I like it. Yeah. I think it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Hey, maybe they'll give us that match in the St. Pete. Then, if we're not going, they're not going to give us uh, Moxley. I thought about that. <laughs> that that would be uh, pretty awesome. Uh, so then we had the match of the night. We had um, Shingo and Evil defeating Tomohiro Ishii and Hiroki Goto in the strong style tag team match. Four hosses just brutalizing Bro, each other. This could be a strong style fight of the year candidate. I, I, I think it could. <laughs> it's really good. Like, this was so, so, so good. Um, yeah, this was on par with some of the best stuff during Wrestle Kingdom. And, um, you know, we, we usually get a really good match during Dash, but it doesn't usually peak this high. This match was awesome. Yeah, this was awesome. Definitely go out of your way. and watch, If you're going to watch anything, definitely watch this match. This kills anything in the Tag League this year. Oh, yeah. Crushed it. Also, we've been... We literally on the air were like, well, we've been calling for Goto and, and um, Ishii. Ishii for a long time, but we're like, what if we got Goto and Ishii against uh, Evil and um, and Takagi? We've literally said that on the air, and it finally happened, and we're like, fuck. This, <laughs> it was it awesome. Was, it was every, good as, every bit as good as we thought it would be, and more so. This match ruled. 
Then we had Kazuchika Okada. Wait, wait, wait. We got a, we got a, uh, oh, that's an right. Angle that's right. That's that. right. After the match, um, Shingo cut a promo. So Shingo pinned Goto with Last of the Dragon. Shingo cut a promo challenging, um, Goto for the Never Openweight title down the line. And then also Evil and Ishii also were staring, staring down each other. So we're probably going to get another Evil Ishii singles match. Correct. So then that brings us to Okada, Will Ospreay, and Robbie Eagles, and Yoshihashi. They defeated Minoru Suzuki, Lance Archer, Zack Sabre Jr., and Taichi by disqualification. Yes. Uh, so Taichi, he brought out the Iron Glove, the, the Iska Iron Glove that he picked up after the Iska retirement show, and hit Okada with it, choked him out with the mic stand. Looks like we are setting up a Okada-Taichi feud, which I think is very interesting. I think that's kind of a... Kind of a cool matchup, especially if we get, um, you know, strong style Taichi against Okada. That could be really great. I don't know if I'd call it cool because I don't know if Taichi is really to that level yet. But, I mean, it, it's reminiscent of what they did the last two years with him and uh, Naito coming out of the um, New Year's Dash. I feel like like when you're in doubt with with a character, they just pair him up with, uh, with Taichi right. at, at Dash and set something up for New Beginning. So, um I would like maybe a slightly... This kind of comes from out of nowhere, but it's not the worst thing in the world. The match would probably be good. Right. And so also in this match, they teased um, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Will Ospreay for the Rev Pro British title. Uh, Ospreay grabbed the belt yeah. before the match, and they, they brawled all throughout the match. Ospreay uh, kept trying to come out to save um, Okada, and um, Zack Sabre was choking him out in the... Uh, the, the aisle way and was preventing him from getting back into the rings. That was like a big element to the match. Right. And then um, post-match, uh, Taichi continues the attack on Okada. He's looking for the last ride powerbomb. But then John Moxley comes out of the crowd, comes in the ring, and, uh, you know, Taichi makes a beeline out the ring. And then... This just, was a cool moment, but it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Why not? Why would John Moxley save Okada? He wasn't coming to save Okada. He was coming to get Suzuki. But Suzuki wasn't out there. Yeah, he's on the ringside. Oh, was he? I yeah. thought he was in the back. No, so he was laying down. He was like sitting down on the ringside watching Taichi beat up Okada. Mm. And then so Taichi like, got out the ring, and then Suzuki came in. I was like, okay. Okay, gotcha. Okay, let's, that, let's, that makes a little more sense. Let's run it. And then they, they started going at it back and forth. The way I thought about it was like, I just was like, well, Mox is probably in town, and he's just like, fuck it, I'm not booked, so... I'm gonna I'm gonna do something. Let me get three three checks. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, technically, in my mind, he didn't get paid for this. Mm. This wasn't a match. He just interfered. He probably got fined if anything. It probably cost some money. Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they had a back the, and forth. The IWGP does not. Yeah, they don't mess around. with yeah. stuff like this. Uh, yeah, he's <laughs> gonna get. He might lose one of his Wrestle Kingdom paydays. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so he ends up hitting Suzuki with the Death Rider. Says not to, uh, you know, mess on my territory. So clearly, we are getting the Suzuki Moxley U.S. title match somewhere down the line. Tampa, I, I'm yes, St. <laughs> Pete Coliseum. Gato, do it, book it. Don't televise it and put put Mox it's on. It's probably there. happening at New Beginning, right in Osaka. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And then uh, the main event of the show, we had um, Tetsuya Naito and Sonata defeating Kenta and Jay White. Uh, it's all right, match. Sonata ends up getting the cradle pin over Jay White. And then post match, Jay White uh, low blows Sonata and Kenta attacks Naito. 
They get chairs, attack um, Sonata and Naito, of course, uh, Hiromu, Evil, um, Shingo, Abushi were nowhere to be found. Uh, Jake gets the mic. Of course, the crowd's booing them. Jay's saying a new opportunity has come and he's going to bring Sonata back to reality. Then uh, Kenta grabs the mic and um, we're getting the, instead of Taichi go home, we're getting Kenta go home chance. The crowd was heavily booing and Kenta go home the whole time and Kenta was just breathing it in and loving it. And um, so obviously we're going to get Jay White versus Sonata down the line. And then Kenta obviously is going to be challenging Naito for the double titles. And like I was saying, I feel like this New Year's Dash, but you're right, they are the smart crowd, but I feel like the New Year's Dash crowd really hated Kenta from his entrance all the way down to this moment. Heavy booze, Kenta go home. The go home chant was reserved for Tai Chi because they hated Tai Chi so much, and now they're transferring that over to Kenta. I'd agree. And, and that was uh, New Year's Dash. Yeah. Uh, any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here? Um, not too many big surprises or, you know, re-entries or anything of that nature. Some of the things we've been accustomed in the past. No double crosses. I think that there was a, c- a concern about Sonata not winning the belt and being the uh, one lone um, tag team partner for Naito and Night 2. But clearly... You know, it seems like they're building something with him and Jay White. I don't know what that really means going forward for either of them, but you know, that that that's a pairing that we've never seen really too much of. So that's good. Right. Kind of a fresh matchup, something for those guys to do in the meantime. My big concern is the double title. Is it now a double title? Because we kind of thought that he was gonna uh, Naito would probably eventually drop the belt in short order. Right. And Chris Charlie mentioned that like the the Tokyo Sports. They didn't know what to call it. Like, is it a double crown? Is it double IWGPs? Or we don't know what to call it either. Right. So, so that's interesting. Um, I'm hoping that they do the Kenta match, and after the Kenta match, he drops the belt. Because here's my whole thing: I want Naito to be the only guy that's ever held the double championship, and then they don't do it again because it's his thing that he did and accomplished. I don't. I don't want to see the IC title absorb. There's some titles I could see absorbed. I'd be fine with it. But the IC belt is the one title that I'm like, I don't really want to see that absorbed into anything else. It's got a really good lineage and really good history. So I think it's a good accolade for Naito. But I think it devalues it if you start, if, if it just becomes like a double title or a triple title. Like that's all Japan sort of stuff. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. So I'm just not really into that sort of thing. But um, I thought that uh, New Year's Dash was good. It was better than the last couple years, probably. Um, pretty standard. It was, it was yeah, fine. That, that tag match. Yeah. But that tag match peaked really high, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And also the Liger retirement. Oh, that's right. We totally kind of breezed over that. The Liger retirement ceremony opened the beginning of the show, um, had um, – Chaos came out, took pictures of Chaos. The you know the home team, the like the non affiliated faction guys, you know, the Tanahashi's and Ibushi's, those guys came out and took pictures with uh, Liger. They had the ten bell salute. Liger's family was out there. They had the pro. This, Tanahashi know, was balling. Yeah, Tanahashi was also okay. Sano. I didn't mention this. Sano was balling at the end of night one. Did you notice? Yes, that? Yes, I did. Yeah, he was crying so hard. 
Yeah, it was an emotional weekend for Liger. Liger felt very – he said that he felt very uncomfortable wearing the full bodysuit for his uh, retirement ceremony. Because he wasn't wrestling yet. Because he wasn't a wrestler anymore and he wasn't wrestling. But um, I thought that, that – I mean, that was like 45 minutes of the, the entire show. Like, if you notice, like I was 45 minutes into the show and, the, like, we just finished basically the yeah. – uh, the Liger ceremony, which is, uh, it, it was great. There, I had smiles. I had, yeah, it was an awesome ceremony. It was an awesome ceremony. So, but that pretty much does it for New Year's Dash. That does it for our show. Yeah. So, uh, like I mentioned, next week we are going to have um, our New Japan guy, uh, Jamie Spector, on the air with us next week to kind of talk about his experience in Tokyo and at Wrestle Kingdom 14. And then, of course, we're going to answer all of your post Wrestle Kingdom questions. And I'm sure we'll have some new beginning announcements and some Fantastic Mania announcements. So stay also tuned night, for that. Night one of Fantastic Mania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so get, re- get ready probably, for that. Probably a, a preview, I'm guessing, as well. Yeah, so get ready for that. Make sure that you are subscribed so you won't miss that out. Dude, this is our longest show we've ever done. Yeah, this is, I think by five minutes, it's broken the record. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so, um, yeah, make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can find me at Jeremy L. Donovan. You can follow the mothership at Social Suplex. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On Instagram, we are um, at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Josh is Keeping a Strong Style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Issue Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown Men Watch This Shit hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Fridays, we have Get In The Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr., Amy O., and Tiffany. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Adios. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.